Free Talk Live, talk radio that you control, 603-283-6160. That's 603-283-6160. That's the number you can call to bring up whatever you want to talk about. In the studio with you tonight, it's me, Bonnie. Riley. And Nikki. And we're really happy to have Riley in here. He's uh, moved here, actually completely moved from Utah that's right. I, I just barely moved about two weeks ago. The big reason for me is I want to be part of the Free State Project and get more liberty in my lifetime. Plus, I'm closer to my girlfriend who lives about 300 miles from me. So she lives in Pennsylvania and now I'm in New Hampshire. Nice. Yeah, so, so it's easier exciting. to jump on a plane and get to Pennsylvania from here than from Yeah, Utah. Yeah, for sure. And it's probably going to be a little cheaper. Yeah, I I just think it's so great that whenever anybody picks up their life and moves to New Hampshire for the Free State Project, and if the listener doesn't know what that is, it's a project of people coming together and they chose, they voted and they chose New Hampshire to be the place to move to. And they're moving there to all together as a group, create more freedom and liberty in New Hampshire. And I think that's important because... When you get a group of people together that value the same things, everything's going to change. Like, for example, you know, if you value things like cannabis decrim and you move to a place that's got cannabis decrim, that's all great. But let's say you move to a place that doesn't and you want to get more people involved in decriminalizing something like cannabis, then, yeah, move to a place with a bunch of people to get it done. And I mean, as far as like, you know, cannabis decriminalization, decriminalization in general i think it's only a matter of time like something like that in new hampshire it's only a matter of time all of the surrounding states are filled with dispensaries it's very laxed in maine and in massachusetts and i think in new hampshire we have such an air of freedom here and i think a lot of you know even the locals like people who grew up here kind you know like myself I, I think a lot of people, like, no one is really against people smoking weed smoking here. Weed, right. right. It's more just, like, the technicalities. And I'm actually really surprised that it's still I think- such a big deal here. And, like, that's the joke that everybody makes because I, you know, I spend a good amount of time in Massachusetts. And that's one of the things that comes up when I'm talking to people, you know, especially in Massachusetts, who, I mean, weed has been at least decriminal. I don't know why I can't say that today, but um, <laughs> at least decriminalized. In Massachusetts for you know, years. Right. And that's like the ongoing joke is, yeah, live free or die, except when it comes to weed. I just think I would argue with those people. I mean, not, probably not actually in, at work or something because that's just annoying. But it, I would tell them, I honestly think that uh, the way that we're doing it in New Hampshire is better. Even if it's not where I want it to be yet, I prefer decriminalization, which is already happening in New Hampshire, way over the legalization route where... Um, you know, things get taxed and there's only like some of these states, they have laws about marijuana, which is like, why this plant? Why not tomatoes? But yeah. only the the government has to choose who's allowed to sell it, things like that. And lots of bills have come up in the New Hampshire State House over the years, especially recently, where people are proposing like, oh, yeah, we're going to finally do the thing. We're going to finally legalize marijuana. We're going to make it like this. And it would be way worse than it is right now. Yeah. And we can't have that. We got to have it all the way decriminalized. And I, I would say regulate marijuana like tomatoes. That's right. my policy. That would be an amazing first. We would be, I mean, 
I already think that the marijuana marijuana laws in New Hampshire are mostly good. People, Ian did a FOIA request in, I think he requested it like before he even met me, like in 2020, but early 2020, after the most recent like good decriminalization laws came out for to see how many people have been arrested in Keene. I think it was just mm-hmm. Keene for marijuana and he didn't get it back until like the end of 2021. So in like a whole year, only I think nine people got arrested and didn't get charged or maybe like one or two got actually charged. And that's the thing too. And it seems like when, you know, police are doing traffic stops, they do like they can use their discretion. So a lot of the times they'll, you know, just either pretend they didn't see it or I I think it's very rare that a cop would actually like prosecute someone over it or like, you know, they're they're going to try to get them on something else before that. It's not the the culture has just changed so much around it. Like it's not like drinking and driving. I mean, right. if a cop pulls you over and you're drunk, they're absolutely going to try to stick you with a DUI unless, um, you know, unless you're in their club and maybe you're one of the other town cops, you know, niece or nephew or something. In that right. case, they usually let you go, but And that's the thing about small town governments is uh, you know, the, the cops like the good old boys, they're going to let them off. They're, they'll let off the good old boy family members and they'll, they won't let you off if you're a newcomer. Yeah. Well, it's, it's funny because I have one friend, I won't say who, who has been arrested a lot in New Hampshire. And he said he's gotten his joint handed back to him, like, you know, keys, wedding ring, joint because yeah. they just don't care at all about it. Yeah. And then I also know this person who got arrested for, or I don't even remember. I don't think he got arrested. He got like given a, it was the craziest story. And he just told it to me at Porkfest. Um, so basically he got pulled over. They were like, uh, it looks like you have a stolen plate. And their story was all weird. They were like, it's a stolen plate from Michigan, but it's a New Hampshire license plate. It, it didn't make any sense. Oh yeah. I remember that story. And I think it was, they didn't run the whole license plate. Hmm. Um, like all of the letters and the numbers, they just ran like the first three and it, it seemed like it was, they made a big mistake. But so I think because they made a big mistake, now they're doubling down because they like, uh, pinned him to his car, wow. took a pipe out of his pocket and it, there wasn't any charges for like a month and a half or two months. That's crazy. And now he's getting charged with having 0.2 grams of marijuana. Wow. That's, that's crazy. Insane. And I. I you think mentioned that- Pork Fest, and for listeners who don't know, Pork Fest is the Porcupine Freedom Festival that happens late June. Yes, up but- at Rogers Campground in the Mount- White Mountains of New Hampshire. Yep, there are that many libertarians here that there's a yearly camping festival with like three thousand people. It's really fun. And I think the- most of the people that go live here. Yeah, I think that's you the know? nice thing about New Hampshire is there are enough liberty-minded people here that we can have such an event. Like. In Utah, I don't know of such a thing. They'd have to go to something like Freedom Fest or meet with the Republican Party to feel like they're belonging. But here, there are people that actually believe in freedom. I wonder if you and I know some of the same libertarians from Utah. I mean, I wasn't like involved with them, involved with them. I went to like um, a couple meetups and then I just got an intense feeling of dread, like doom, like, oh, there's no like it literally gave me like a um, short bout of depression yeah. because I had found out all this interesting stuff. I listened to every single Tom Woods video on the Internet in 2016. And I was like, well, this this is totally this is the truth. This is so interesting, like libertarianism. Yeah. And I was like, maybe there are libertarians in, in Utah. I found a, a group that was meeting up in it. I mean, it's nice that there was like 
10 people that were meeting up regularly at this uh, place in Salt Lake City. But it was just like we talked over dinner. Then we there was like this uh, extra room that people just hung out in and talked for a while. And even though everyone's really nice, I I seriously got like the worst feeling that I couldn't really put words to at first and it was just this desperation like okay this is the 10 people that get it yeah they're kind of not doing anything and even the other people that get it clearly aren't doing anything right Right. and that's the thing about you know other states and other libertarian parties in other states is they're always working they want to talk about working within the legislative system and trying to pass new laws but they have republicans or democrats yet here we have free staters running as republicans and as democrats and we're getting things done. Yep. And I think, like, aside from that, even, um, because I really honestly don't care about politics at all, and I'm more of, I'm going to do whatever I want to do, you know, regardless of what the law says. Um, but it just seems like, you know, in my experience living here, like, people practice what they preach, and it's more of a lifestyle and less of, oh, we're going to run for office. And, like, yeah, of course, there are people doing that. And I think that is great because, you know, it's, it's nice to have, you know, I guess something going through the the system that's already in place like you might as well. But there are so many people who are just living their truth and living authentically and just really I mean to me like that is the true essence of freedom like yes. being self-sustaining, being independent and having a large community of people who are going to support you and back you up like if something does happen People really will back you up here unless you're some jerk and you have no friends. But for the most part, like we have a giant community. Even sometimes if you're a jerk and have no friends. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, that's the nice thing about having a community is we know, okay, this person may not be the best person to deal with, but we might come to their defense or, you know, they're not the best person to deal with. We don't feel comfortable going to their defense to let them deal with the system themselves. Yeah. And I'm glad you brought that up, Nikki, because I think that Keen needs to start getting really active again. I've definitely not even wanted to do much recently. Like, I did this Meet a Free Stater event. I was going to keep doing it, and then life just happened. Like, for whatever reason, June feels, like, impossible to do anything because Porkfest is, and Forkfest is, like, a week and a half. And I know it's just a week and a half out of four weeks, but it just, for whatever reason, drains you, and then... Yeah, well, even, like, preparation. Yeah, yeah, like, preparing for it, and then, um, like, decompressing from it. Like, you at right. least, like, when you get home, you need a week to just, like... Not talk not to anyone. Not work at your full capacity. Not hear yeah. the word liberty. Um, but Riley, the reason I brought it up is... me. Riley and Ridley and I were talking about it, and... Um, he, Riley, was saying, I, I want to be a part of, you know, the legacy of activism in Keene. So what did you start because of that, Riley? Well, I started a, an event in downtown Keene at Railroad Square is where we're having it now. Every Friday, we're doing a 420 rally at 420, of course. <laughs> and I'm bringing back the tradition of smoking weed in, in, in downtown Keene because I think it's important to celebrate cannabis. I see cannabis as a sacrament, a spiritual tool. But at the same time, I also believe that people have the right to connect with cannabis however they want. And it's none of my business how you connect with the plant. So come join us every Friday at 420. That's awesome. I love that. I think that's a great idea. And one thing that I thought was great about it, I kind of got worried because uh, I had driven somewhere else the morning of the the first 420, which was last Friday. 
and I saw that there was this Harry Potter themed week going on in yeah, downtown Keene. Yeah. <laughs> so I was kind of afraid that people would like give us any kind of crap because there's a lot yeah. of people downtown. No one seemed to really bat an eye. Yeah, it, we were just downtown enjoying a joint or whatever and having a good time and nobody even stopped to say, what are you doing? Yep, no, yeah. no one did. No <laughs> cops came up and I didn't even see any cops, but to be fair, but there was like people with kids walking past just like whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And I just think that's what's really important about Riley's event because some people may say, oh, we already have decriminalization. You know, that's not a big issue right now, but I think that it needs to be normalized. I think so yeah. too. I think it's important to normalize the use of cannabis and not normalize it to say this is the best plant, everyone should have it, but to normalize it to the point that say, you know, if consenting adults want to put something in their body, they have the right to do so. Um, and I like the argument I hear sometimes um, in different mom groups. So it's wine moms like that is so normalized. Like, yep. you know, moms that just hang out and drink wine. Maybe they drink like three bottles of wine and they get trashed. <laughs> and that is still normalized yeah. in our culture. Like alcohol is just so normalized, especially in our specific area. I understand in some other parts of the country, it isn't like the alcoholism problem isn't as bad, but especially like up here, people drink a lot. It's cold, um, right? And, you know, one of my friends pointed out to me, like she doesn't drink, but she's a big pothead. Mm-hmm. And she's like, how come people tell me I'm a bad mom because I like to smoke weed? <laughs> and that's a good question. You know, yeah, if she's I mean- not like necessarily like getting super stoned while she's watching her kids, but if she wants to smoke a joint, before she goes to, like, the kids are in bed, you know, everybody's tucked in, yep. and just something to decompress, something that doesn't have the side effects that alcohol does, isn't as addictive as alcohol. I mean, there's just so many horrifying things that can happen to you. You know, I mean, you can literally die over alcohol withdrawals. Right. Oh, absolutely. And I'm sorry, weed isn't killing anybody. Yeah. So it is a great point, like, why is... Why is it normalized for like wine moms, but like you can't be a, a weed mom? And I do think the culture is changing a little bit surrounding that. But there are like some older folks who are still like really, really against it. And even hospitals, you know, um, if in your early pregnancy, if you test positive for marijuana, you know, in your blood test, when they do like all of the, the screenings mm-hmm. when you first get pregnant, I mean, they will, they sometimes, depending on the state and depending on the hospital, can open a DCYF case or a DCF case on you. Which is CPS and I think like every other state, it's Child Protective Services or do you you know what DCYF stands for? Um, Department of Youth and Child Services or something. Um, But yeah, yeah. So the Child Protective Services, I mean, that's just completely ridiculous just because you were smoking weed before you knew you were pregnant. If you yeah. were at the bar drinking before you knew you were pregnant, no one would bat an eye. Oh, no, it's okay. You didn't right. know you were pregnant. And they aren't doing tests for it. Well, they can't. The other thing is I, I've never heard that smoking weed while pregnant, even if you know you're pregnant, does things like alcohol, fetal alcohol syndrome. No, it, it actually doesn't. And there are there's very limited research on this, but there are... Um, there are some studies being done on some of like the possible, you know, like risks, but also the side effects of using marijuana medicinally in pregnancy. Hmm. I know I've heard of some people saying, you know, I was so nauseous. They had um, hyperemesis, which is when you are just vomiting a lot throughout pregnancy. 
to the point where they couldn't eat a single thing. And the only thing that helped them with that was eating edibles or oh, wow. smoking weed. That's interesting. So there are some certain conditions. Like, I think as long as the pros outweigh the cons, and I think eating it versus smoking it is usually better because smoking anything is typically not good for your health. Right. Um, and of course, like in moderation, like you shouldn't be getting super stoned every day. But I just think that women deserve to have the right to use it medicinally or oh. even discuss it with their doctor Absolutely. or, you know, like discuss it, be able to discuss it with their doctor or their midwife or like whoever their healthcare practitioner is. Why does the state need to get involved? I think that's the point. I think that's a good point, Nikki. I, I think that, you know, when an institution calling itself government gets involved in your life, that makes it really tough for me to justify having this organization around. Yeah. I mean, ruining a family is right when a baby is born. I like mean, that's going to help the baby. think of that. Like, imagine having a CPS case and like notoriously, like once you have one CPS case, like once they know your name you are on their list for life and like if you if anything else happens like that's an automatic red flag like oh you you already had an open case at one point even if it was resolved immediately it looks very very bad yeah so like that's not really fair just because i mean even if somebody was smoking it during pregnancy i just you know it's it's not something that i would do but i just don't necessarily think it warrants an open cps case you know the what main, I mean? Like you can't compare that to like doing heroin while you're pregnant. The main thing that I'm I'm not gonna ever have kids. Ian got a vasectomy. I don't know why I have to say it, but he got a vasectomy. I'm just never gonna have kids. But the main reason I wouldn't do it is just because I can't even imagine like the anxiety. Like that sounds like if you already you felt like it'd be fine, you convinced yourself it'd be fine, and then you just start feeling anxious. I feel like that would be really bad. That would um, feel terrible. Yeah, I mean, and that happens to me anyways when I right. smoke weed. Like, I cannot smoke because of, like, the psychological effects. And I used to smoke a ton of weed. Like, I used to be a big, big pothead. <laughs> and then, I, I don't know, I just don't enjoy it like that anymore. That's fine. So, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, like, I wouldn't use it anyways. But, um, but yeah, I mean, and it, it, it can be a great tool for things like anxiety. I mean... It's so crazy how differently this drug affects different people. Like, yeah. you can't really say the same about something like Kratom, which I'm drinking right now. It's basically going to affect... Well, one thing that's weird about Kratom is, like, some people just be like, it didn't affect me at all. And um, I, I have heard that some people, like, have, like, widely different effects from it. Like, some well, people are like, are oh, it's like Kratoms. Adderall. And then some people are like, oh, it makes me... Like, some people are using it as, like, But if like, they're drinking methadone. the same strain, like, they, they're pretty similar, it's just yeah. I mean, I don't know a lot about that either. I think but. that what's weird about weed is like two people can smoke the same joint and have wildly different reactions. Yeah, maybe I, I that's think it to comes, do with tolerance too. Yeah, I also think, I also think it comes down to the psychology of the individual. Like, if you're prone to anxiety, yeah, you're gonna face more anxiety and you gotta work through those demons. I, I don't know. Nikki and I have talked about this a lot off air, and I am just not prone to anxiety. Like. I didn't really know what being anxious felt like until I was an adult. When I was in mm-hmm. high school, I'm sure that it, it hit me sometimes, but I never just sat around like, I'm anxious for no reason. That never happened to me. Huh. And I would smoke a lot of weed in high school. I would get so high. I would have like closed-eyed visuals. I got so much higher in high school than I even could get now. It's so weird. Like I don't even think I could get in that place again. But um, I was also like... 80 pounds but um (laughs) now it's like 
I and my point of saying that was I would get so high in high school and never feel anxious about it. Just be like, oh, this is normal. This is normal to be feel like this, and this is great. And all of a sudden, when I was like 21 or 22, I just started being like, wow. I it was like some for some reason I had to take a break, so I took a break for like getting a job or something like that. And then I just started getting intense anxiety every time I smoked it. And I just don't feel, I mean, I know that uh, psychological things are involved. Like, you know, there was probably a lot going in my life at the, on in my life at the time. But I also think that it just is prone to give me anxiety now. So I, did, I didn't smoke at the 420. I went in shocked and was there for moral support, hey, whatever. Moral support is extremely important. So if you don't if you don't enjoy weed and it's not something you enjoy, you know, come for moral support. Come because we need people. Yeah. yeah uh, and just hanging out. I mean, it sounds fun. Yeah, yep. absolutely. I also brought, um, well, I brought chalk so people could chalk around, you know, just messages like decriminalize it more. That's what I wrote. I also am doing a thing where people who come, if they bring a rock, I have acrylic paint so we can paint like, you know, taxation is theft and oh, put nice. them all across New Hampshire. Hopefully like people start doing it. and arts and crafts. Right. There you go. Since like, I'm not going to be smoking weed. I just wanted something to do while yeah. there. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I've read, I mean, I listened to Riley's podcast, um, an episode that he did about using marijuana as a sacrament and i am in, interested in one day maybe when the feds are out of ian and i's lives like just setting a day aside having a nice like spiritual meeting with god on with marijuana instead of using it i think that to be honest with myself i think that i used to always use it as a little bit of escapism or partying yeah and I've kind of grown out of that. That's a fine use for people who want to do it that way but i prefer you know connecting with god or whatever god is through cannabis and sometimes it's hard to find that balance between hanging out with friends and connecting with God, but yet maybe it's not. Maybe we're all just the divine manifesting itself in different ways. I love that. I love thinking of just regular life as, you know, spirituality doesn't always have to be like a witchcraft ceremony. Yeah. It right. can also be just going to work and yeah. enjoying your life. You yeah. don't have to be a Buddhist monk. You can also just be a normal person. Exactly. Yeah. 603-283-6160 is the phone number. Thank you, Riley. This is Free Talk Live. Free Talk Live is brought to you by Dash Digital Cash. Dash is the cryptocurrency designed to be used for spending. Rising fees have made Bitcoin useless for purchases, but Dash continues to have fees less than one cent per transaction and has implemented really cool features to ensure it's undefeated as the most useful cryptocurrency in the marketplace. From a technical standpoint, Dash transactions are irreversible and its network is protected from 51% attacks by their Chainlocks technology. There's no need to wait for a confirmation before considering a Dash transaction complete, so it's great for merchants. Dash is one of the oldest cryptocurrencies and is widely available on exchanges and in multi-crypto wallets. It's easy to get and use Dash. Start by learning more at Dash.org. Big thanks to the Dash DAO for sending us 32 Dash per month to promote Dash on the air. Visit Dash.org to learn about Dash. Dash.org.
Welcome to Free Talk Live. It's talk radio that you control. And the number to call if you'd like to get in on this conversation with us is 603-283-6160. That's 603-283-6160. And in the studio with you tonight, it's me, Bonnie. Riley. And Nikki. And in the last segment, we were all talking about... Well, we started off just talking about activism and moving to New Hampshire for finding more freedom in our lives. And that brought us to the subject of Riley. He started a... Riley just moved here, by the way. Like, the last couple days of July, right? Yeah, I moved here on July 18th. I actually flew in on July 18th. So, that's when I got here. It's been two weeks and one day, so... Yeah, here I am. And he's already more active than a lot of free staters. Um, he started his own. I mean, I would say that Riley was more active than a lot of free staters before he even got here. That's a great point. <laughs> I don't know about that. I mean, why would you say that, Nikki? I don't know. I feel like you like help a lot with the show, like doing the digest and right. and there are a lot of free staters who like don't do anything. Mm-hmm. And like, don't get me wrong, you are not obligated to do any sort of activism if you move here. Right. Even just being a freedom minded person, or not even that. Even just not like voting for some of the crap politicians that hmm. some of the people that live here are voting for. Hmm. Um, so sometimes doing nothing at all, like, is doing something kind of. But yeah, well, the thing about Free Talk Live is it's the show that really turned me on to liberty. Mm-hmm. And you know, I started doing the digest in 2016 because you know someone in the FTL AMP Facebook group wanted to have. Free talk live in a my in a more listenable format, and I volunteered my my time and my talents to do that, and so I've been doing that for a while. So, I mean, I think it's great, and a lot of people do enjoy that because it is it, it can be a lot to listen to a three hour long radio show. Oh yeah, and for a lot of people who do want to listen every day, but maybe don't have all of that time, it is nice to have a condensed version. And I mean, essentially, you can listen to like more than three days in the time that you would listen to one episode. Right. And I have the digests around an hour long. So, you know, if you're commuting on a long commute or whatever, you can listen to it. Or if you have a short commute, you know, you could put it in and do a 20 minute commute to work and a 20 commute home and many 20 minutes before you go to bed. So, you know, break the digest up a little bit. I used to listen to Free Talk Live just the whole thing because I would do Uber Eats, I'd do it in the morning, then take a break, and then I would go back out and drive around getting Uber Eats orders and delivering them at, I think it was 6 to 10. Yeah, it was 6 to 10, and in Texas, that was 7 to, wait, 6 to 9. So it's 7 to 10 here because of time difference, and that was the exact time I went to go out and do Uber Eats, so I had that much time. But I've heard so much good things, like people just... um People we know, free staters who listen to the show, will tell me that they always listen to the digest because, you know, they're busy or I don't know, maybe they're just not as much of a long form type person. I mean, it's still long form, but yeah, that long of a show. I mean, I think an hour is more comparable to like a podcast length, right? Like right. normally podcasts can range anywhere from like 30 minutes to an hour and a half. So I feel like that's pretty typical of what most people's attention span would be. But and- we're doing a radio show, and so we're always taking breaks, but the Digest doesn't have any breaks, so, you know. Right. Yeah. For the people that don't want to hear us inter- introduce ourselves, like, I don't even know how many times it'd be. Is it just, it's uh, I guess, six times during a show? Yeah, six times. Well, it used to be more. Yeah, yep. it used you to know? be 12. Yep. 
We um, cut out some breaks. Well, I brought it up just that Riley moved here because I was saying right when he moved here, he started his own event, um, a 420 event. It's at 4.20 p.m. in Keene, uh, in Keene at Railroad Square every Friday. And so if you'd like to come, you can come. And I'm encouraging people to bring rocks, like clean your rock. And then, because I just don't have time to go collect a whole bunch of rocks, but I have paint. <laughs> and we can paint them with, you know, messages about freedom and leave them all over New Hampshire. And I'm also bringing chalk. And it's just kind of a hangout sesh while people, some people smoke weed, trying to normalize weed. But I, I brought it up because that was what we were talking about last segment. And Riley brought in this interesting story tonight, an opinion piece about psychedelics. This is from symbiosity.com. And it's called Understanding the Practice of Psychedelic Spirituality. So do you already... Uh, read or listen to this, Riley? I have read through it briefly, but go ahead and read it and yeah. start and we can talk about some of the concepts that come up. I'm sure we have a lot to say about this, oh, for this sure. subject. I mean, we already basically dipped into it last subject or last segment just about uh, marijuana at least, which marijuana is a psychedelic. It's like a, a low grade psychedelic. Yeah, I mean, I think that's definitely true because I know people, a lot of people who have had visuals hmm. and of course like it is mind altering, but it can be like very spiritual and like similar to psychedelics. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, edibles, edibles are more psychedelic in nature than uh, smoking because really? edibles are a slightly different chemical when they're broken down in your body. Hmm. And that makes sense because typically if you're taking psychedelics, you're, you're typically going to eat them. Yeah. So kind of does make sense. Yep. It starts off, um, it doesn't, oh, it says that the writer is Daniel Hanna. And he says, I'm sure anyone who's nosedived deep enough into a psychedelic trip will tell you how profound the experience is. But is there something more to the psychedelic experience than a simple misfiring of chemicals in your brain? I believe so, personally. Yeah, I do too. I don't believe, I mean, personally, I don't, I'm not reading right now, it's just me, Bonnie talking, but... I really dislike the idea that all that there is to life is your brain and the way it chemically reacts to things and you're not connected to anything outside. I personally believe in a spiritual realm. I, I agree. I actually, so here's the thing. I mean, our brains are definitely chemical, chemistry plants for all the chemicals going on in our brain. And for sure, these experiences are chemicals in our brain, but the way we frame them makes them spiritual, spiritual experiences or just experiences in general like fear chemical reactions in the brain create fear hmm. but you know we still can find things to be afraid of or we're reacting where we we are reacting to things that we are afraid of choosing the way that you react to like anything is you know what makes us human like a dog when it's scared is just going to stay in that fight or flight mode until it fights or flights but a human can react you know we have so many weird things that give us fear in our lives because of, um, you know, you know, driving dogs don't have to do that. I- I'm just using dogs as an example, but um, that's what that's what makes us human. We can choose not to sit around just like I'm terrified to leave the house. I'm terrified of everything, and um, we can choose to use those experiences as learning experiences. Sure, and you know, maybe some people are terrified to leave the house, and that's okay too. But at the same time, you know. Maybe do something, something a little different to help you face that fear and lean into it a little bit. And I would, I would encourage you if you have that fear of leaving the house for whatever reason, walk around your neighborhood a little bit. 
Yeah, just do a little bit. Walk in do, your backyard. Do a little bit at a time. Just... It's it's good for your mental health to try things to challenge you a little bit. Challenge your paradigm. Step out of your usual patterns and maybe try something different every once in a while. It's actually really good for your mental health to kind of push yourself a little bit. Well, getting back into the article, and I agree, Riley, that's just very sweet of you to give that because, you know, I just gave an example of somebody afraid to leave their house, but I wasn't really empathizing, sympathizing. It says psychedelic spirituality refers to the consumption of psychedelics as a medium to explore different realms of existence. This practice is based on the belief that psychedelics can act as a gateway to the spiritual realm with the potential to liaise a connection between the user and a higher dimension. Beyond the recreational trip, psychedelics act as a catalyst catalyst to ego death and induce extremely powerful experiences. The spiritual use of psychedelics goes much deeper than leisurely trips. There's a whole other world associated with the psychedelic experience, something that's magical, mystical, and very difficult to imagine. Yeah, if you haven't experienced psychedelics yourself it is difficult to imagine oh i'm sure i mean i have experienced mushrooms ayahuasca and things like that and you know to portray it as an experience of uh, escapism is ridiculous because really you aren't escaping anything you're being smashed over the head with yourself with your with all your fears all your all your nonsense that you believe in and for people to claim that you're just escaping with psychedelics is it's, just insane. It's like the opposite. Oh, for it's sure. You're not literally escaping the opposite. Anything. You're like, being dragged into yeah. your own hell, kicking and screaming. You better work your way through that. But and, we were saying it can be used as escapism for marijuana, right? So that, sure. That's why I think it's like marijuana is such a unique psychedelic. Yeah, absolutely. Um, because I agree. If you're taking mushrooms, I mean, I, I don't even know how people do it. I don't really understand uh, taking mushrooms and like going to a party. I've never done anything. Like I've that. never done anything like that either, and I would never do anything like that because it just isn't my my thing. It's um, it's too overwhelming. So I will say, I used to, when I was like in high school, I would uh, you know do acid, take mushrooms. I would actually do all sorts of drugs and then go to concerts a lot. Oh, wow. I've always gone to a lot of concerts. Um, typically, like I would go to a concert at least once a week. Um, and we would get really, you know, we would take all sorts of different things. Um, yeah. And I would go to concerts and, and typically like it was a very different experience than like being at home, but I would still say like, I typically had a good experience. I don't know if I would do anything like that (laughs) these days. Um, but that, you know, like when you're in high school, it's like the stakes feel a lot lower. Like you're just, yeah. Like, maybe more brave, but also, like, more bold. Like, I would do anything in high school. Right. See, for me, I didn't do any of those things in high school because I was raised in a religious environment, and that that just wasn't something I wanted to do or had the desire to do. I was more desirous, more interested in trying to live a religious life and be a good person than try anything. But now, in my adult life, it's like, oh, I've left this religion and decided to go on a spiritual path of my own and I get to explore things and now I have to figure out how to balance, you know, my real life with this exploration of psychedelics and cannabis. And sometimes it can be a challenge, but the nice thing is when you get outside your own life and meet with other people, it helps you stay grounded in the present moment and helps you learn how to navigate, you know, being high versus being in reality. And I think being in reality is just as important whether you're getting high or not. And one thing that that opens up is I just don't understand why people can be 
tricked into believing that it's just always bad. And I, and I wasn't trying to say like um, that you should never take psychedelics and like go to a party. It's just that I sincerely can't even I don't I don't think I would have fun. I would, wouldn't want to do that. Sometimes yeah. I get scared of like skin when I'm on mushrooms. Skin looks so gross. I don't want to like. Um. Yeah, that actually is a great point. Like I've looked at you now and it, it depends how many mushrooms you take, right? Because you can kind of microdose or take a smaller dose and it's a very different experience than if you eat like a whole eighth or something. Yeah. Um. But I have had that experience where I look at myself in the mirror. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm a lizard. Yeah, just you know, <laughs> like you just have that, like, whoa, that's not me. Um, exactly, it can be freaky. <laughs> I'm sure it can be, and maybe, maybe you know, having an experience of looking at yourself in the mirror while you're tripping could be a little jarring for people. Yeah, right. I I looked in the mirror on shrooms once, and I felt like I was just looking at a lifeless body, and it was really scary. So, yeah, I'm not trying to scare people out of uh, doing it though, because I, quickly I went to the other room. I got dressed into something with less skin showing. I don't like skin on shrooms, like I said. It just looks gross. Like, yeah. I just don't like the way it looks, and it makes me start remembering that I'm, like, stuck in a skin suit, and that's weird. It's weird when you're on <laughs> shrooms. It's not as weird, like, saying it right now. It's like, I mean, I love my body, yeah. and I don't think it's ugly. It's huh. it's something just so strange that lots of people have uh, said the same thing to me. Like, they just don't like the look of human faces and stuff like that on shrooms. Interesting. But, um... I felt like, oh yeah. So what I was going to say is it's just crazy to me to think of like why there is this idea that doing drugs is immoral because you brought up being raised Mormon and not uh, wanting to be a good person and therefore not doing drugs. And it just, why, I I understand why people would maybe think like doing meth, like I I still don't think it, it in its self makes you a bad person but it's a bad thing right oh, for I, think sure. it's, I, I think it's the purity right like people just want to be like pure of heart and pure of self and i think i i don't know i i wasn't raised religious so it's hard to live in a world where you know you have to be pure of heart and pure of self because your self you are rubbing up against experiences that are going to challenge you and help you either be a better person or help ruin your or cause you to ruin your life. And I think drugs can ruin your life if you don't put them in their proper place and don't use them properly. Right. And I think that's like everything, though. Right. Obviously, it's going to be easier to ruin your life doing meth than with um, eating food. But you can still ruin your life by not having a balance in your life eating food. Like absolutely, if you eat way too much food every day and way past when you're not hungry anymore, just because it's your comfort thing that that can ruin your life. I think the underlying important thing in all things is having a balance. Yeah, and you know, being a workaholic can ruin your life too because maybe you become right. an absent person in your children's life. Well, we actually have someone on the phone, so I'm going to go to the phones. Skeeter, you're on the phone with us from California. What's on your mind? Yo, hey, it's your boy Skeeter. Hey, just wondering, uh, why do you guys want to like repeal drug laws when uh, when it makes the state stronger? How would that make the state I, stronger? You want to give uh, their weaknesses uh, financial, not uh, moral. You want, I mean, like uh, 
So I'm of the position we should uh, intensify the drug war, maybe even bring back prohibition, alcohol prohibition. So let me know how that prohibition thing works out. I mean, it's been tried once and people didn't like it. So why would it work again? Well, his Skeeter is a, um, what do they call it? A Someone who wants to accelerate the, the end of the United States. Uh, allegedly, that's what he says. I think that that's stupid. Like, oh, keeping marijuana illegal is going to accelerate the... I don't, I don't really think that that's going to do anything, but... You should take a look at uh, history, like alcohol prohibition. You know who led the charge to repeal alcohol prohibition, right? It, it, it didn't end the state, did it? That's what my point it was. It was about to until, until they repealed it. They yeah, repealed I it don't. Think yeah, so. I don't know about that. I think it's just a way for and, the state to get more power. And, and right I mean, away. if you no, look at no, alcohol yeah, prohibition, there was a lot of like actual crime and there was like... like um, like violent crime is what I'm trying to say. Like it kind of like rose up this sort of like mob rule, which I don't necessarily <laughs> think is a good thing either. You know what I mean? Like I don't like the state, but I also don't want like another group of criminal criminals to replace the state. Yeah, that's a bad idea, Skeeter. Thank you for your call. I just don't understand why <laughs> he thinks things like that would bring more freedom to people's lives. I think It'd be really nice silly. if he could like explain things better, right. but he just like doesn't really cuz I would like to understand him. Like, you know, if you could make like a li- I'm not I'm not the type of person that is just going to like decide that I already disagree with you before you make your point. Like I would really but it seems like every time he calls he he can't like actually logically present his point and he then can't. he'll just get really amped up and like start yelling at us. Yelling or like, laughing. Like you say something that makes total sense and he thinks if he laughs at you it yeah. takes away points and from like, arguments. Stupid. I'm not laughing at him when he is speaking so it's just kind of rude and like not cool but we already know that about him. And so. that's the thing if uh, for listeners who don't know Skeeter calls in every day. He, I already knew that he was an accelerationist I think they call themselves. Maybe I'm saying it wrong. Uh, because he calls in about the same subjects every single day. Like, I've already heard his, the little bit of explaining he does on his positions a million times. And he doesn't make any more sense. He doesn't uh, take new ideas and learn. He, he doesn't go like, oh, I hadn't thought of it that way. He, he never, he would never. He just believes that he has found the correct way to live over in California with, you know, well, you know, whatever's going on in his life. I don't know if I have the correct way to live, and I'm not going to tell you if I do, because I don't know what path you're on. Yeah. That's very true. I'm not saying, I, I wasn't trying to say I have the correct way to live. Exactly, That's what I'm criticizing about Skeeter, that he thinks, you know, he knows everything already. You can't, you can't tell him anything new. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, he's also in this chat all the time, and he's always talking about, uh, you know, the... Free estate project and everything. Everything we like is bad. Everything that we do is bad. It's like, what are you doing? How about call in and tell us what you're doing? Yeah, do something instead of telling others what to do. Come and show us how it's done. Lead by example. Do something productive. He claims to be an anarchist, and I just don't see it from the things he talks about. But anyways, getting back into this article from symbiosity.com, talking about psychedelics, Um, this guy... Daniel Hanna tells us, Before getting into how psychedelics blast you into another dimension, we need to do a quick crash course on spirituality so that you have context. He says existence has layers, and you vicariously exist in multiple realms at once. I believe that. Yep. Our universe is just one tiny piece of an otherwise infinite realm. 
There's a whole lot more information around us than what you and I can perceive. However, some people such as shamans, mediums, and mystics can naturally access some of this otherworldly information. And, I, you know, I just don't get why people, like, uh, boo-hoo that, just don't don't believe it on just the face of it, considering there are kids that just start talking about what they see, what they perceive. And how are you just going to think the kid is making it up? Like, at Porkfest, there was this girl that uh, read auras. Huh, interesting. She would tell people, like, what color, or, like, the dad would ask if she wanted to, I guess, because she was, like, a really young kid, like, five yeah. And she, uh, like, do you see anything around this woman? I, I didn't get her to do it to me. My f- other friend was telling me about it. And she'd be like, yeah, I see pink and blue around her. You that know? is, like, so nice that her father was supportive of that. And it's yeah. like, even if it's not real, why are you going to break your child down like that and tell them, like, even if it is their imagination, whatever. Yeah. Who, it's just, let, are them, these, let people imagine things for a little bit. We need to learn how yeah. to imagine things more. And that's like, I always like have a huge problem when kids have like, quote unquote, imaginary friends. Well, first of all, how do I know that whatever they're seeing isn't <laughs> real? Like I, I just because I can't see it and I can't experience it doesn't mean it's not real. First of all, second of all, again, even if it was an imaginary friend, why would you want to break a child's imagination and creativity in their like fun for life? It just, hmm. it just seemed it like that was something that always like really bothered me. If you go back and watch a cartoon you loved as a kid, especially like an actually good one that you'll enjoy now, you can watch it, you'll enjoy it again, but you'll notice something is missing. And yeah. this happens to me mm-hmm. so many times when I go back and watch something that I loved as a kid and I'm like okay why didn't that just like hit as good as it did as a kid and I think that the reason is because when you're a kid you're watching or in Riley's case you know maybe you listen to cartoons as a kid yeah and uh your imagination is never stopping you live in an imagination land and uh maybe it's not uh actually in everybody's case it might not actually be seeing things on other realms it's just a really strong imagination. And if you go back and watch a cartoon or movie, like a Disney movie or something like that, that you loved as a kid, I promise you, you can start to tap into that idea. Just, you had way more imagination as a kid. There are parts to, like, I watched Mulan. That's uh, the movie that made me start thinking about this. I watched Mulan with Ian because he had never seen it. Uh, the 1997 one, I think it was, or 1998. And I really love that movie so much, and I hadn't seen it in a long time, but I saw it a million times as a kid. And after it was over, I felt like there was, like, scenes that were cut out or something. Hmm. Interesting. I was just like, I feel like it's missing something. Like yeah. They cut something out. It, it, I think it's just my imagination. It, it's so true. My life, like, thinking back, like, my early childhood memories from when I was, like, five or six years old, my life was so magical. And, like, and this is kind of... Recently, I've been striving to get back to that point. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, yeah. I just remember, like, the way I would th- see things as a child was just so different. And even, like, the way I would think about things. Yeah. Um, And it's sad that, like, part of growing up and becoming an adult is, like, essentially getting boring. Which, it's <laughs> beautiful in its own way. Like, I love both parts. Like, I loved my childhood. I'm, like, lucky to have had a really good childhood. And I love 
getting older too. It's just like there's always something new to explore. I love that life keeps changing. Like that yeah, you'll never it, get bored. Yeah. yeah, for sure. I mean, life goes through seasons. We have seasons of growth. We have seasons of of change. We have seasons of of stagnation. It's just life is a beautiful experience sometimes. It's a little rough, but beautiful. Well, Riley, we've only gotten a little bit into this article, like four paragraphs in, and we just have so much to say about it. So I think we'll have a lot more to say coming up. It's Free Talk Live. The Shire Free Church offers a sanctuary to those seeking an escape from state churches. The Shire Free Church is an interfaith, diverse group of people that may not share identical theological beliefs. As a member in or minister of the Shire Free Church, you are a sovereign individual and may be the faith of your choice. We don't claim to have all of the answers. We are open to all peaceful people. We want to learn from each other. What unifies the Shire Free Church and its diverse members is peace, love, and liberty. There are many paths to God, one for every individual. The Shire Free Church does not define a specific path beyond these parameters that must be your foundation. Peace as your way. Love as your guide. And liberty as your light. Learn more at church.shiresociety.com. That's church. ShireSociety.com. Free Talk Live. It's Free Talk Live. Talk radio that you control. 603 283 6160. That's the number to call in if you'd like to get in on our conversation or bring up whatever you want, change the topic, it doesn't matter. It's 603-283-6160. And in the studio with you tonight, it's me, Bonnie, Riley, and Nikki. And since this is a open phones talk radio show, I'm going to go straight to the phones. We have Major Payne. In Michigan, Major Payne, you're on the uh, on the air. Hey, good evening, y'all. Yeah, first I wanted to touch on the uh, whole marijuana pot thing, but of course I can delve off into mushrooms and peyote and the spiritual world as well, because as you know, I'm long in the tooth. <laughs> I got many. But um, so, as far as Nikki mentioned this, I, I noticed I've been smoking tobacco and pot for better than 50 years. Well, just about 50 years though, I guess. Yeah, one more. One more. Started when I was 12. Hmm. But anyway, um, I never noticed until I got older that cigarettes would upset my stomach, especially when I didn't have no fuel in the tank, so to speak. Yep. Mm. But marijuana pot would settle my gut. And it still does. When I get nauseous, I have a couple, three puffs. Because I don't know if you guys, how much are you people have smoked but if you smoke and you belch you will actually puff up some smoke so a certain percentage of that does go into your gut sack as you're inhaling interesting i don't think i've ever had that happen to me before yeah that's never happened to me before either one time when i was first smoking my friend who was like she had already smoked a lot we were 15 or she was 14 i don't know anyways she had already smoked a lot she kept saying like 
stop swallowing it. Like you're trying to swallow it. So I was always just like, okay, okay. Like, and I've just made an effort to try not to swallow it, quote unquote. So I don't know. That was like one of the first times I ever smoked. So maybe I've just like drilled that into my head. Like I've never burped up smoke. So yeah. Well, the other thing I noticed about reefer was uh, my mind works way too fast. And sometimes, especially when I'm in a project, I'll get three or four steps ahead of myself in my head as far as what I'm actually doing. And then I'll trip over the rock that I'm trying to deal with, you know. So pot slows me down a little bit. Hmm. And that actually does help me function better as far as not having to go lrn.fm well major i know that you most likely won't won't do it again since you're a regular caller so i'm not gonna dump you well i dumped the call like it's not getting on the air well i i thank you bonnie i've heard you f up a time or three myself i've only done it twice (laughs) so not three but so i anyway um i ate a quarter ounce of mushrooms once and that was not good. Hmm. What happened? Eight, well, I that's it's so bad I'm not even going to transcribe it <laughs> because I don't even around remember. I remember crawling out of the woods at a festival and begging some teenagers that were walking down the street. All I could get out was, Oh, oh, God. Wow. oh, oh no. Oh, my God. Yeah. This girl looked at me and says, do you care if it's been drunk out of Because she's already had a couple of pulls out the bottle, right? And I just looked at her and said, what? <laughs> that sounds like a rough time, dude. But yeah, I mean, too much of a good thing is too much of a good thing. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I the only time I ever really had a spiritual experience, I think, was on peyote. Hmm. And I actually saw Mescalito. Hmm. I'm it was a very pristine scenario on the edge of a river, sitting in a fork tree, looking out over the fog. And he come walking at me up over the river, all dressed in a fancy Mexican feather suit, right? But his head was just a fog. Interesting. But it was I a what? Sorry, what was his, his head? head? was just kind of like a fog bank. Hmm. There, there was no face on the man. Whoa. And this- yeah, it was kind of weird. This guy was somebody I, I didn't I didn't know who the guy was. You told said he, he was he, he's somebody that wasn't really Me, there. Mescalito is the uh, ancient god of mescaline from Mexico. Okay. Wow, it's crazy. Cool. That's why he was dressed in the Aztec feather suit. He, I might have been able to see his headdress, but I couldn't see his face. Wow, that's and really crazy. About, you were talking about kids being able to perceive things that adults can't. Yes. I remember one. My Uncle Tim died when I was about, I don't know, five or six. Mm-hmm. And I was just starting to get in the pot. I was like 12 years old or something. And I'm laying in bed, and I woke up with a start, and he was in the corner of my room. Wow. I could hear his voice. I could see just a little floating fog bank. And he talked to me out of the fog, and he just said, Pat, be a good boy. Wow. Do what you know is right. And he was gone. And you said you were so, smoking at the time, or no, no, well, I, I, I had just probably started. I mean, I was twelve. Mm-hmm. I probably got a hold of my first vodka bottle a year before or something, you know. Okay. But uh, yeah, I mean, I, I didn't start out 
stealing roaches out of my parents' ashtray when I was eight because they were not partakers of such. Hmm. Right. You know, that's interesting that you share that story. I've had, um, I wouldn't say similar experiences, but I have had very interesting, like weird, vivid experiences um, smoking weed before, like while I was very young, probably like 13 years old. There was this one time I've always really liked vinyls and a lot of my vinyl collection I've inherited from my father. And I had this like really crazy, vivid experience where I was listening to maybe Zeppelin 4. It was the first time I had listened to that. I've listened to it before, but I think it was the first time that I listened to it while I was extremely high on marijuana. And I was just sitting in my room and all of a sudden I had... I don't know if I would call it an outer body experience, but it was almost like I was living in the perspective of my father oh, when he yeah. was in his maybe early 20s. And I literally like <clears throat> almost like mentally transported to my grandparents' basement where I know my dad used to listen to records probably and smoke pot with his friends. And it was almost like for a few seconds, like I became my dad. And it was weird. And then late, like later years, at first I was just like, oh, that was kind of cool and interesting and whatever. And then later on, I, I revisited that memory. And I don't know if... I mean, this is kind of getting woo-woo and getting out there, but I don't know if something about the vinyl record held some sort of memory and possibly that could have been the last time that my father, like I, I transported to the memory of the last time that my father had listened to that vinyl well, while yeah. he was smoking pot. And like, obviously like that's my dad. We yeah. share DNA you're connected yeah. to your dad, you yeah. know? So it was, but it was just like a very vivid, strange experience. And like, I know for a fact, like what I saw and, yeah, it was it was very interesting. So, um, yeah, like not the same, but like kind of similar. Where like you're young, you're experimenting with things, and yeah, your your imagination or your creativity or whatever it is, like really, or your I don't know if it's like connectedness. I I don't know what it is, but it's just interesting. Well, Nikki, you say it's weird that I say that. It's weird that you say that because shortly after my father's death, I had a visit from him too. And this was very visual. I mean, I saw it before I was awake. Hmm. Um, Give you a little prefix on it. He was a Catholic and had not been to confession for probably 50 years. And I knew there was something haunting him. So I, I had to take care of him, watch him die of cancer for a year. And when he started getting really bad, I took him to the church and, uh, I I uh, begged the priest to uh, give him absolution, which he did. And uh, so the old man died in peace anyway. But about two weeks after he was dead, I'm laying on my couch looking out. my. I got a window that looks right out on my front, front porch where they come up, you know, to the door. And uh, I know damn well I was asleep when this happened, but I seen him walk in front of the window. And he's wearing this long, tan um, you know, slicker and uh, a, a, a beige top hat. And uh, I jump up and I open the door. And it's like, where the hell did he go? And I know that was a sign because he wasn't all in black and red and scarred that I sent him to the other side. Mm. Mm. Oh. 
And and I did that to another fellow that was a ghost in an old haunted jailhouse out in Yellowstone County. This whole second tier was haunted by this large black man that had been zapped to death by tasers in the shower. Oh, my God. There was like, you know, 50 people on this block in two showers. And this was a block where they gave everybody an hour out a day. Yep. So 50 people are competing for two showers every day. So this big guy, he finally gets his turn, and they come in and said, back to your cell. And, hell, he's all covered in soap and whatnot, can't hardly see. And they just tased his butt to death. Oh, my God. And he used to walk the tear. And I seen him walk by myself one night. Good God, I'm getting goosebumps right now just thinking about this. And I just, I, I looked, and I says, Lord, I says, let me talk to this man. And I says, Bubba, I know you're haunted. And I says, I want you to think back to the last person that loved you and might have gone to heaven. I says, if you ask them, they will turn on the light. All you got to do is walk into the light. Mm. And all the weird stuff stopped happening. That's that a beautiful story. Wow. That's nice that you wanted to help the guy. That's Wow, that's just so crazy. Where Where did you say that was? What prison? Yellowstone County Jail out of Montana. Billings, Montana. Wow. So crazy. Damn hole I was ever in. Well, thank you so much for the call tonight, Major Fans. Brings up so many different interesting stories. I just I love talking like this. Yeah. When yeah, was... it is interesting because you don't always have these conversations a lot and it is rare like a lot of people who have these experiences. Like there was even a moment like before I told my story about the vinyl where I was like, "Ugh, should I really say this on the radio? Like, people are going to think I'm crazy. But <laughs> I think it's really good to just let go. Like, to be honest with you, I don't really care what people think about right. me. Um, and, I mean, if my story can make someone else who had a similar experience feel not crazy, um, then that's a good thing. And I think a lot of us do have these experiences that are, you know, either closer to the veil or... Or whatever, if it's extraterrestrial or if it's supernatural or, you know, whatever, like these uncommon experiences or, you know, out of the ordinary things that cannot be explained. Uh, and I think a lot of people do have experiences like this that aren't completely within the realm of things that can be explained. So I, I think the more we talk about it, the better, because there are probably even like Matt's Bigfoot podcasts. Matt listens to these Bigfoot podcasts all the time. And there are so many people that... Um, right into the podcast and they're like, I've held this with me for over 50 years. Right. I have not told a soul because everyone's going to think I'm crazy. It's crazy. And it's like so therapeutic for these people who are like elderly to be able to get this stuff off their chest and to just share it with somebody. And I think there's something really, really healing about that. Even if you're anonymous or whatever, just to have a place where you can share your story. And, you know, and it is nice that we do have a call-in radio show that we're doing right now where people can call in and kind of bring up whatever's on their mind. And if they wanted to share something like that, they would be able to, you know? Right. And the number is 603-283-6160 if you want to join us. Yep, that's 283 603 Yes. Okay. I just looked at the wrong numbers there. Um <laughs> Yeah, I. that's one thing I really like about my generation. I'm not saying that, like, no one from any older generation has ever been open about spirituality. But when I was a kid, this was, like, my jam at, like, sleepovers. Like, 
have you guys ever seen a ghost? Have you guys? Yeah, we did that too. Yeah, when I was a kid. And uh, for one thing, it makes me wonder how many kids have just forgotten because they didn't have those experiences, like kids without siblings, you know, to be like, whoa, this happened to me last night. Because that is one reason I remember a lot of stuff from my childhood is I had a million siblings. So I would just be like, I would tell them things and then I would remember the conversation and the experience and they would remember, so they would be like, oh, remember that? You know, it helps you remember a lot of things. So I yeah. w- wonder if kids that, like, didn't have siblings or just didn't have friends that were open with talking about that type of thing with them just forgot about experiences yeah. they had as kids. I mean, and, and there were some experiences that, so uh, me and my best friend Katie used to, like, you know, go on walks at night, go through graveyards, play with Ouija boards. Like, we would just do stuff like that. Uh, and there were a few experiences that I didn't, I have a very poor memory. Um, and I would have experiences where, or she would remind me of experiences. Um, and yeah, so like if you don't have somebody to kind of go back and forth with and either jog your memory or like keep it fresh in your memory, like me and Katie talk about this Ouija board experience we had like almost every time we see each other, Mm. you know? So, but if I didn't have her and maybe that happened to me alone, maybe I wouldn't have, you like remembered it as visit as vividly. The other thing is, I just think, like you said about the Bigfoot podcasts, I've mentioned that before because Matt got me to start listening to them, and it always blows my mind how many people say, "I didn't tell anyone." My yeah. mom, I did first tell my mom. She told me, "Don't ever talk about this in your entire life." Yeah, it's like. That sounds so alien to me because my parents would totally listen to me about something like that. And I feel like I've never had a friend that would just laugh me out of town about it. And I just think that it's kind of a thing that maybe it was like it was worse to seem crazy when our great grandparents were alive because, you know, it would cost you a job. You know, it's not Christian, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the thing about dogmatic religion is it creates this this box where every every experience has to be put into and if it doesn't fit that box it's it's against god it's not truth it's like yeah. i am interested in what is true i'm not interested in ignoring things that i see right in front of me because it doesn't fit in with what i think right well and it is so ex- uh, easy to you know to have an experience and just write it off as something else you know like if the if the light flickers one person's going to say it was a ghost and one person's going to say, oh, it was an electrical short. Whatever the truth. I mean, there is a, a real concrete truth of what happened in that moment. But, um, you know, it's whether you're willing to investigate it or, you know, just and, go based off of your like the first thing that, you know, your initial instinct. And it's just so silly to me that like I the light flickering is like maybe not the best example because lights can totally flicker. For, yeah, but sure say the there was no reason that the light flickered and it was really a ghost the thing is there are some people that won't even look at that possibility because the other one is more likely and i just think that's so silly to cut out all possibilities and only look at what is most likely well it's scary a lot of the unknown is scary so a lot of people just it's safer to to come up with an explanation for things, you know, like and if you're if you're determined enough, like I've had some experiences that I could not explain that with literally anything else. Like it had to be something that I could not understand. Um, but people, if they are determined enough, they will be, get very creative 
and come up with something or even just say, I don't know what it was, but it was definitely not something like that, you know, like a ghost or whatever. Hmm. Yep. I, I just don't get that. I'm not saying those people shouldn't be able to live their lives that way or anything. It's just, I just, just think it's so fun to talk about like the unknown. I think so too. I think it's fascinating to explore the, explore these topics because, you know, nationally syndicated radio shows like ours on talk radio don't talk about them typically unless it's late night talk radio like coast to coast. Have you had any type of experience like that, uh, Riley? Like you're sober and uh, no, not happens? when I'm sober. Interestingly enough, hmm. I've had strange, uh, strange experiences while on cannabis or mushrooms, but nothing when I'm sober. Strangely enough, any interesting story? Um, ooh, um, I've had, I've had ancestors visit me while on mushrooms. I've had experiences like that. I've had experiences where. You know, dead loved ones or dead relatives came to visit too. They bring just bring you a feeling of love or yeah, anything absolutely. like that. Yeah, Bring me a feeling of love. Bring me a feeling of peace. I I felt like I connected with connected with them in the afterlife and the story they were telling about the afterlife did not match hmm. what I thought the afterlife was. It just seemed like, hey, we know the truth of the story, and the story you've been telling yourself about life is wrong. Just be okay with embracing a new story that's so beautiful that's really great um yeah one time when i was on shrooms kind of changing the subject back to psychedelics since we are reading a story about it um i just it's not like i heard words or a voice in my head it's just a knowing and you can't really understand that feeling unless you experience it but i kept having these nonstop flashbacks to like everything that has ever happened to me all at once. And it was like almost distracting. Like I wanted to not have that be happening. But all of a sudden, when I kind of leaned into it, I had this feeling that just told me in a way without words, everything that's ever happened to you in your entire life. Like that's why you're being shown all these things. Everything that's ever happened to you entire in your entire life. I was there. You were in me, this. And mm. that's why I believe in God. It's it was like you were never wow. you were never unsafe. You were always uh, taken care of. And this moment, you're supposed to be here, and I've helped you get here. Yeah, really that's great. beautiful. That's that really beautiful. And uh, yeah, I just love psychedelics. I I'm not even a person who wants to do them a whole lot. Like sometimes I just feel like I need some. I don't even know how to explain it. Like some when reset. you want to do it, that's how I would describe it. I just need sometimes. I just need some reset. Nice. Yeah. Um. And I think like certain things, like I don't know if I would necessarily ever do something like acid again. Um. I don't know. I just feel like I've gotten all I needed to get from LSD, and I've had such big experiences with that. Um. So I, I almost feel like I don't even need it anymore. I mean, I, I'd be open to doing it again, but there's just certain stuff where when you receive the message, you receive the hmm. message. Um, and sometimes you can overdo it. Oh, yeah. Um, I, I find mushrooms to be a little bit more gentle than LSD. Oh, you know, they don't they don't last as long for me. Um, there's uh, it's it, they're kind of easier to get because you can grow them. They feel more natural. Um, yeah. And, you know, you can just eat like one little piece of a mushroom and or like microdose. They call it microdosing. Um, they even sell like mushroom chocolates now that you can use to microdose. Liquid. Um, nice. and, and I know a lot of people who will do that uh, instead of like, say, smoking pot. 
They're like, I'm just hanging out with my friends or I'm going to the bar and I don't drink or I'm going to a concert, whatever. And they, you know, um, I had a friend who told me a story about her microdosing on mushrooms and then going to a comedy show. And she just had the most, like the funnest, most like, you know, just laughing and giggling. And it was just, it really amplified her experience, which isn't maybe necessarily a psychedelic experience, but it was still a very positive experience Yeah, and for experiences her. like that are definitely positive for sure. That's, that's also very important. Well, we're going to get back into your calls and talk more about this article. This has been Free Talk Live. 603-283-6160. And hold on, because we're coming right back. Eleutheromania, the insatiable desire for freedom. It's the new three song heavy metal EP from Captain Kickass. Available now on your favorite music app or get it directly from CaptainKickass.com. This talk radio that you control, 603-283-6160. That's the number to call in and talk about whatever is on your mind. It's 603-283-6160. In the studio with you tonight, it's me, Bonnie. Riley. And Nikki. And I just want to get right into you guys' calls. David in San Francisco, you're on Free Talk Live. What's on your mind? Well, I heard you talking about psychedelics, and um, since I uh, live near the Haight-Ashbury, I thought I'd chime in on some of the aspects of it. And what's I that? Elect- Sorry. Beg pardon? Uh, what is the Haight-Ashbury? Oh, well, that's a famous uh, place where it all began in San Francisco back 50, so almost 60 years ago, uh, in uh, the Haight-Ashbury, the Haight Street where it meets Ashbury okay. uh, Street. And um, the, uh, you know, uh, Timothy Leary and Ram Dass. And yeah, the Grateful Dead. Terrence McKenna. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And, and yeah, Terrence McKenna. As a matter of fact, I was trying to remember his name. Um, it, so I went to a lecture a couple of years ago. People were talking about uh, the how the hate fell apart. Um, and the um, the issue came up that in the earliest days of the use of psychedelics, people were interested in uh, in spirituality and expanding their minds, uh, in forward motion, growth, you know, such as that. But uh, and and so the people that actually made things like LSD and some of the other uh, chemical formulas used it themselves. And they were not interested in passing out a bad batch. And the idea that 
sometime later, there were profiteers that came in there that would come up with a bad batch. You know, in in the movie Woodstock, they say, don't take the brown acid. Uh, you know, so there were there were profiteers that were either sloppy in their work and they didn't care whether they made a bad batch. They were just interested in making a buck. And um, so that was one of the themes of uh, of this discussion that the Haight-Ashbury got kind of overrun with profiteers. Uh, who then, when they started coming up with bad batches, then they started coming up with barbiturates, uh, speed, uh, a variety of different uh, chemicals and that were really uh, nothing more than things that were going to knock you, you know, flat on your face. So whether it was like a Mickey Finn, uh, if you're familiar with that old expression, um, they give you something to knock you out and then they'll steal your wallet and maybe Shanghai you into a ship. And um, the idea that uh, the profiteers were the problem and uh, it, it became further exacerbated with, um, if you've ever studied the Black Panthers, J. Edgar Hoover was really, he was trying to sabotage them, and he got them hooked on heroin. Hmm. And by doing that, he also got, uh, he was trying to get black people hooked on heroin, but he inevitably got white kids uh, hooked on heroin, and that created more fun for the profiteers and more collapse of uh, of the Haight-Ashbury and the uh, kind of the joy of the hippie movement. So I, so I just want to, oh yeah, absolutely. Destroy people's lives for political reasons. Right. And that's what politicians do. They just love to destroy people's lives anyway. Yep. Well, right. And if you read some of the biographies of J. Edgar Hoover, uh, in some ways he knew what he was doing. And in some ways he sort of regretted it. If you know um, of his history, uh, one of his grandfathers was black, and uh, and as a kid, he made a he, Hoover himself was so light skinned that he, what the expression is, is he passed, and so he never was seen in in a photograph again after the age of eight. He was never seen with uh, his his black grandfather again, and um, he was also gay. And he uh, was always, uh, you know, on the, in the closet. And so since the, um, the Haight-Ashbury and the hippie movement were interested in integration, uh, you know, expansive living, uh, the gay movement was there, the women's movement, the environmental movement, there were all sorts of different uh, reasons to move forward in life. And J. Edgar Hoover was going to protect the polluters, so he'd crush the environmentalists. He was, you know, women were getting 69 cents on the dollar for what a man made, so he was going to help the corporations crush the women's movement. Hmm. And he was there to uh, crush the gay movement because uh, organized crime was blackmailing you if you were gay. And that became a huge income stream for organized crime. And if people were out, then they would no longer be blackmailed. Wow. And so when you That's when a great you start point. Looking, Sorry, I just hadn't really thought about that. Like I've always just been like why was there such a just hatred for being gay? Like it's so mm-hmm. abnormal to me because it was normal 
uh, like, well, you know, in then my you have the religious propagandists telling you that being gay is a sin and evil and it's it's going to destroy society because yeah. gay yeah, people can't have kids. Both things, you know, well, they did. They're, that propaganda was there, but that was how they blackmailed you. And uh, and as a matter of fact, uh, if if you read uh, there are a number of books about abortion uh, uh, and uh, if you had an abortion, uh, you were very likely to be blackmailed or your husband uh, or your lover or your brother or sister or anybody in your family could be blackmailed uh, because you had, you know, a woman had an abortion and mm. organized crime loved it. And if you read, uh, I think Bob Woodward wrote a book about the the ruling, uh, the Roe v. Wade ruling on abortion. Uh, that it, the book is called The Brethren. And he alludes to the blackmail that came with abortions and that there were generals. You know, a general might have a mistress and he got her pregnant. He didn't want anybody to know. Uh, the general could be blackmailed. Wow. And uh, so organized or, yeah, organized crime was ending up with top secrets through blackmail. And um, and so it became so bad for the economy to have so much blackmail. Uh, you know, there might be a factory owner that had a mistress or even his wife uh, that had a, uh, an abortion and the factory owner would have to give his profits to organized crime. And so the, the economy was being decimated by uh, organized crime uh, and blackmail. And that's why uh, to this day, I really suspect that this uh, anti-abortion movement is really led by blackmail. Because when you start hearing about, you know, what is said in the confessional, and then all of a sudden people are blackmailed about what they said in the confessional, uh, then all of a sudden the economy shifts to organized crime and extortion. Um, You start looking at... Thank you. Thank you for the call, David. I just wanted to kind of reel it back in um, because, you know, this is all really interesting. I am really interested, but I just kind of wanted to reel it back in. I just want to ask you... Have you, if you want to say, have you ever had any mystical or spiritual experience yourself? Oh, sure. Yeah. As a matter of fact, uh, my dad used to make his own beer and wine. And from the age of five, I was helping him siphon beer into the bottles, you know. And, and mm-hmm. so I I kind of felt grown up at a, as a five-year-old. But after a while, I realized it was not a pleasant high. It wasn't a fun thing. And um, I, uh, when I got to be 12 or 14, I, I had learned about walkabout, you know, the, the Native Americans and Australians, you know, when you became a, went from a teenager to a young man, you had to kind of prove yourself to yourself and do a walkabout. And part of that, uh, you know, Native Americans did uh, peyote. And uh, so I tried peyote before I did weed. And uh, uh-huh. I think I even did acid before I did weed. Wow. And uh, so it was it was based upon, you know, enlightenment and spiritual growth and walkabout as when I did it first. I quit drinking when I turned 16 uh, uh, and, uh, you know, took a few drinks in years later. But I really seriously gave it up when I turned 21. And uh, so it's uh, it's been a. You know, it's 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 always a thing about enlightenment and growth rather than the profiteers who want to cash in on your life and keep you stupefied. 
Yeah. And, and well, thank you so much for the call, David. That's very interesting. And I think that that's one of the reasons that the government hates things like uh, mushrooms because they they're trying to, but really they shouldn't be able to patent it. Right. And they can't. It would be really hard for a government to tax something like weed or mushrooms. I mean, they could. They do with tomatoes, but that that only comes to someone selling the tomatoes. But if someone's growing tomatoes or someone's growing cannabis or mushrooms, they can't tax that. Well, and that's the thing. That's what they don't want is the you know black market of it, so to speak, where people are you know cultivating these things on their own. Um, they don't want that. They want people to be dependent on the dispensaries. They want you to be to be dependent on the grocery stores. So you can buy all of these things. You're not buying them from your neighbors. You're not growing them yourselves. You have to go to the approved store, buy them, and pay taxes on all this stuff. Like, yeah. this is what they want. And yep. also, they want to keep us poor. Like, how much yeah. more money would you be making if you had marijuana growing in your basement and, uh, you know... Yeah, exactly. And, uh, and not even just that. I mean, I think, and I, I, forgive me, I don't remember the exact order of the drug schedules, but I'm pretty sure things like weed and mushrooms and LSD are higher on the drug schedule than things like heroin. I, I'm pretty sure that's the case. I think if you not, might be right. R- regardless, even if I wasn't right, like the fact that they're even all like a scheduled drug yeah. is ridiculous. The fact that marijuana is like, number, it's one. Like, yeah, like the that's, worst it's just, one. It's crazy. No and sense. I don't think it's a coincidence that, you know, like during the acid test, I mean, like the government and all of these scientists were doing very, very extensive research on LSD and the effects of LSD, they would take like some average housewife and just give her like a hundred hits of acid. Yep. And, you know, she's, you know, like tripping very, very hard. But they realized very quickly, you know, and especially, um, you know, before LSD was criminalized, like, you know, you had the culture in San Francisco with the Grateful Dead and people just taking you know, these substances. And I think very early on, they realized that things like mushrooms, LSD, and marijuana expand your mind. Um, and I, there's a whole thing where, uh, you know, and inventors and business people in Silicon Valley who are billionaires, like they microdose on LSD. Right. And like that's where they come up with their inventions and they're all of their like billion dollar ideas. So they're, you can use these things as a very powerful tool to become very successful um, and very enlightened and happy, and they don't want that. And you may you know? even realize when your imagination's in that state that there's no reason to keep living the way you've been living every day. Yeah, and there's no reason for the government. Yeah, they absolutely. Don't want that. Like people are coming to these epiphanies when they're doing things like pure LSD. Sure. Um, so they they want people to be on the pharmaceuticals. Oh, you're depressed. Don't take mushrooms. Don't don't expand your mind. Don't go to a concert. You know, don't go to a spiritual retreat. Take this Lexapro, take this Cymbalta, take these antidepressants. Um, and I don't want to poo-poo those too much because they do have a place for certain people. Yeah. Um, and, the, and they sure. can be very helpful. But uh, I think there's absolutely an overprescription of pharmaceuticals. Um, and then there's the whole conspiracy with the CIA pushing heroin and fentanyl and, you know, all, all of that thing. And who knows if all that's true. But either way, you know, they, they don't want us to be doing mind-altering substances that are going to make us smarter and more creative and more successful like that 
because that's not going to give them more money and more power. It's it's absolutely not. Yeah, I'm going to say that if you're hearing the show and you're not sure if mushrooms are right for you, that's okay. I'm not advocating that everyone should go out and take mushrooms tonight. I think you got to really be dialed into your body and be like, do I really want to do this? Because... You know, these things are going to bring up things that you've never looked at or they might traumatize you. And you have to be prepared for both experiences. Yeah, like yeah. I was going to say, they definitely destroyed a lot of people's minds with uh, MKUltra giving people way too much acid because, you know, they weren't ready for it. They didn't know what yeah. they were going to expect. And uh, also, like, I couldn't imagine. I don't think I've ever taken more than 10 hits of acid. I could not imagine what it is like to take a thousand hits of acid. Like, oh. they were giving these people insane amounts of drugs like I couldn't even like I would I think most people that took that amount I mean could maybe be fine but you're going to experience things that you can't unexperience yeah. or you're going to be what they call permafried yeah. right. where you've just taken too much of a substance I mean like moderation is key with with everything oh, absolutely. Um, and I do think Riley's disclaimer is very like responsible and important for us to say because um, these substances aren't good for everybody. You know, like I said, you know, I've I can acknowledge all of the wonderful benefits of marijuana and also say, like, yeah, that's not for me. I've tried it uh, several different strains in several different settings. It's just not a good fit for me anymore right now. And, you know, I still respect other people and I still respect the healing properties of the plant medicine. Uh, but that doesn't mean that I need it in my life. And I think the same can go for literally anything. Absolutely. Yeah. I never have. And I probably, I don't think I ever will take acid. There was just something about it. It's like, I would, I've heard like since I was really young, my friends telling me what it was like for them. And it just didn't appeal to me at all. Also, I may have been really um, imprinted on, I don't know, influenced by the fact that one of two of my friends did acid together and I don't know, one of them just had a really bad time and threatened the other one with a knife. So I always felt like, oh, you can't control yourself on acid. Now, now I've learned it's not really that way. Like he was just having some kind of crisis, but yeah. that made me really scared to try it. And I'm kind of glad I never have because everything that I've heard, it just sounds like mushrooms are better. I prefer natural things and for it to not last 12 hours. Oh man. Yeah. And I think moving forward into anything with fear or with any of those like preconceived ideas or notions, um, it can, I mean, and like, that's a huge thing when people are tripping, like your mindset, like the most important things are like environment, who you're with in your own personal mindset. Like if you're not in a if you if you have anything that's like kind of like making you worried or holding you back, it can also cause it to be more anxiety producing. I mean, not necessarily. I know people who have been in a horrible mood and they're with terrible people and they drop acid and they have a great time. Um, there's just so many different factors, and I don't know. I don't. I don't think it's like necessary for every single person I don't in either. the whole world I, to do it. Yeah. You know? So, you know, if you have schizophrenia or have schizophrenia in your family, maybe you shouldn't do it. Yeah, probably not a good idea. Yeah. So, you know, just go it, think about it, go approach it with caution. Yeah. It is a tool. I mean, everybody should definitely do a lot of research on all the things we're talking about tonight because all three of us are people who have done a lot of research on those things. Nikki is a nurse. Uh, Riley is like a full-on psychonaut. I don't know if I'd describe myself as, as a psychonaut. I mean, I've, I've dabbled, <laughs> but I wouldn't call myself a psychonaut. psychonaut. I don't want to have a career as a psychonaut. I just like taking these things as spiritual tools. Right. Well, 
Either way, I everything that I've done, I did research on. I love the website Arrowid. That was like my favorite thing to do just in my free time in high school. I would just go on Arrowid and read experiences and just read about different drugs. Um, but anyways, yeah, definitely do your research before just jumping into anything like that. But this is a call-in open phone show, so I'm going to go back to the phones. We have Sarah on the line in New Mexico. Sarah, what's on your mind? Yes, I just want to bring up another stupid thing that we're doing here in the South Valley, and they put in three roundabouts, and the drivers are plowing, plowing driving right through it. Like, Isn't oh my that God. what you're supposed to do with a no, roundabout? You mean like through the middle? That's correct. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's oh, wow. Are there like yeah, signs and- there? Because I mean, I, <laughs> I understand if someone's never seen one before, but I mean, typically... It's very clear that yeah. there is almost, I wouldn't necessarily call it a median, but something similar, like in the middle of the roundabout or the rotary. And it, it's usually pretty clear that you do not just drive straight through it. I don't know if these people are impaired yeah. or just and they're care. not paying attention, um, but it's it's pretty obvious. And I've, I've also seen signs, at least up here, where especially if it's like a two laned um, roundabout, that it will kind of almost like a road sign that's a picture of it. Yeah. So I that's crazy. They're not common in New Mexico or in Texas or anywhere else that I've ever lived before I moved here. They're very common in New Hampshire. But listen, no one is doing that on accident. Like you would have to be just like F this roundabout or to impaired. go through the middle. Or, or like they yeah. were hammered or something. <laughs> well, I don't know. The the roundabout that they put here is kinda like um they just have a little signs. And it's kind of circular, flat piece in the um, air, uh, like a like a smooth piece. So that that is the attitude that the South Valley part of the county is like um, kind of like known for like a lot of shootings and a lot of dope dealing. Uh, that not so smart people are kind of living down that way. And so this is the kind of like attitude. And then, so, so their solution is they spent like four million dollars to put in the roundabout. Wow! Now they want to spend more money to turn it into a four-way, so they could T-bone each other like three in the morning. Oh my god! That's the solution. Okay. Yeah, it just so, seems like a bad idea. Like, I don't know why they would keep throwing money at this issue. Just put more signs up or something, but paint it I, Like brighter. I'm wondering, are people like trying to protest it? Like, yeah, that's what I'm wondering. I'm not using this. I'm just going to drive straight <laughs> through it. That's that's exactly what I was thinking because I just, I, even the first time I ever drove up on one, I, I knew what they, I had seen them in TV, on TV. I was like, oh, it's one of these things and I got to pay attention to know what I'm doing. Like, I don't remember the rules, but I wasn't like, do I just go through the middle? That's stupid. <laughs> They have to be doing it. But you know what? This is actually the area that Stephen Krizada, wasn't he in the Breaking Bad movie? He was one of the characters, and he's actually a county commissioner. So I called he's him real? and left him a voice. Yeah, Stephen Krizada, he was one of the the actors that I don't know. Where, I never saw the dumb movie. It's a show, but, but I've never but, seen it either. Yeah, but he was one of the characters, and he ran for office, and he won. So I left the voicemail on his recording that I want a big giant granite rock in the middle and put a Zia, like a metal art Zia sign, a Coco Pelli or a Lobo, New Mexico Lobo statue on the middle of it. 
and that'll stop the protest of going right through. Is Lobo wanna... like that little guy with the hair who's dancing? Okay, that's a Coco Pelli, the oh, okay. little flute guy. That's yeah, yeah. Pelli, and the Zia sign is the like a looks like a little cross with a little um looks like a swastika, but it's like a little cross with a sign. Oh yeah, yeah. And and then Lobo is a it's a Spanish word for wolf. The wolf is our New Mexico Lobo University sign. I would okay. rather see a metal wolf on top of that granite. Um, the metal art. Yeah. Well, Thank you for the call, Sarah. That's pretty entertaining. Uh, I don't know. I wouldn't ask them to throw more money at it, really, yeah, except paint, maybe. Yeah, I, well, maybe decorations in a traffic circle or roundabout might be a good idea sometimes. Let's make it more beautiful. Hmm. Well, those things are really pretty. That's one thing I like about uh, New Mexico is all their ancient culture, their little symbols and stuff. They have really pretty and cool shapes that I guess were drawn by the people that live there, and it's like you know, associated with New Mexico and you can find like shirts and stuff with that on it. But um, yeah, that was just kind of an entertaining story from Sarah. We now have Dave Ridley. Dave Ridley, you're on the fo- uh, You're on the air. I keep saying on the phone. <laughs> Technically, well, he probably is on the phone. Yep, you're both. Yep. <laughs> Ridley. So uh, all the deplatforming, uh, I don't know about everyone else, but it's certainly leading me towards more and more experimentation, you know, with activism, trying new things or going back and trying old things. Uh, and the new thing that I'm trying, another thing is, uh, and I haven't, haven't really done this before. I call it disinfector Dave. So I'm just popping out onto, and I'm not doing it very frequently yet, but I've just, you know, been pop, popping out onto the roadsides and cleaning up the litter. Um, and, uh, I have, I, I have put out my shingle sort of to say, you know, do you want me to do more of this? Uh, you know, I'm happy to take donations. You tell me where you want me to clean. And you maybe pay me after I've done it. That's a really uh, cool idea. That's a idea, really cool like. idea, Dave. I love it. Um, do you want to stay on the line? Yeah, there's a little more. All right, we'll be. Well, right. there's more, more coming, coming up. up, and it's free talk live. 603-283-6160. That's the call-in line if you'd like to get in on the conversation. Whatever's on your mind, talk about what we're talking about, if you're so moved to, or bring up something totally new, it's up to you. 603-283-6160. And with you in the studio tonight, it's me, Bonnie. Riley. And Nikki. And we were actually already on the phone with a caller, Dave Ridley in New Hampshire. Uh, so what else is on your mind tonight? Yeah, so I guess I guess I'm disinfector Dave tonight. <laughs> Nice. Yeah, like I was saying, like I was saying, I just had this idea of you know getting out there, uh, cleaning up the roads, um, letting people tell me where they want me to clean, and then afterwards they can look at it and uh, you know pay me what they think it was worth. Or I'll you know I'll be doing some of it on a volunteer basis too. Um, 
but uh, I guess uh, I, I, if folks want to know more about it, well, I should also say one idea would be to make it more of an activist thing. I was thinking about uh, kind of adopting Ernie, Ernie Hancock's idea that we just need we need more sign, lib, you know, more liberty signs everywhere, so that the so we don't have to publicize it. Uh, so one idea would be to to wear some kind of a you know a sign with some URL on it, you know, like advertising some. Liberty Org organization in New Hampshire. That would be one thing that could be done. Uh, but if, if folks want to know uh, more about what I'm trying to do, I guess just go to forum.shiresociety.com and I posted some details and some pictures. Uh, and I guess so people remember the URL, I should probably sing it. Forum.shiresociety.com. <laughs> oh my God. It's the Ridley O song or tune. <laughs> um so yeah i really like that idea of ridley i it kind of reminds me of i was doing this thing i only did it once um and i need to keep doing it but i wanted to do this thing called meet a free stater and just like have people come up and talk to us with signs that say meet a free stater and yours it kind of reminded me of that because it's like how, how are you gonna hate someone who's on the side of the road picking up your trash yeah, well, didn't they did something hard. similar with the with the open carry trash pickup where hmm. it's like wow all of these people Nice. Like you know, it catches your eye. Like, why does that guy have an AR-15 strapped to his back? I didn't know. And then did you're that. like, oh my goodness, they're picking up trash. And it's just like it gives that an association in your head where it's like, well, these people are clearly open carrying firearms, which is legal in the state of New Hampshire. But they're also, you know, like a lot of the the liberals are like, ah, people with guns are murderers. Yeah. But they're just picking up trash. Yeah. So it it kind of gives that positive association with gun owners and it okay or you know if people just wearing freedom oriented shirts oh look at these free staters because there's a lot of people that are like the free staters are coming to new hampshire and they're trying to destroy our state and like there's a lot of that like fear democracy yeah there, there's a lot of that fear mongering aspect of it but if they saw free staters doing things like picking up trash walking old ladies across the street you know, donating to food pantry, like doing like good, wholesome things, which obviously plenty of free staters are doing that. It just doesn't necessarily get like attention mainstream press. Um, but yeah, the more attention we could bring to positive stuff like that, the better, you know, and if it inspires other people to start doing kind, awesome stuff like that, too, like that's awesome. So it's actually it's been so long I'd actually kind of forgotten about it, but I think I actually might be the guy who started those open carry litter pickups. I know I did one in two thousand seven. Um, wow. And uh, another thing that happened was like we, for example, uh, when some people were arrested in Manchester, or at least they were harassed by police for for open carry. Uh, the way we went about protesting the police was to start an open carry litter pickup all around the police department. And so we, we we were picking up litter with our firearms on, and uh, that also seemed pretty useful. Wow, that's that's pretty ballsy. Because I feel like they <laughs> would, you know, call up their buddies like, "We got a bunch of people out here with guns, but what are they going to do? You're just picking up trash." Right. Well, thank you so much. I, thank you for your service, also, Ridley. That's a really great idea, and I love it. But two segments ago, maybe now, because we got a lot of calls there, a lot of really interesting calls, um, learned about some psychedelic and then maybe just mystical experiences from some of our regular callers. That's pretty cool. 
um, we started reading this article from simbossity.com. Oh, I've been reading it wrong. It's just simbossity.com. Sorry about that. I think I was saying symbiosity. (laughs) Um, And it is called Understanding the Practice of Psychedelic Spirituality by Daniel Hanna. And he went off just saying that it isn't just as simple, taking having a psychedelic experience isn't just as simple as misfiring chemicals in your brain. It actually connects you to the spiritual realm. And he says, before getting into how psychedelics blast you into another dimension, we need to do a quick crash course of spirituality so you have that context. Existence has layers, and you vicariously exist in multiple realms at once. Our universe is just one tiny piece of an otherwise infinite realm. There's a whole lot more information around us than what you and I can perceive. However, some people, such as shamans, mediums, and mystics, can naturally access some of this otherworldly information. The dimension of experience discovered through psychedelics is always there beneath the surface. It's a timeless, formless, and ethereal realm which our higher selves reside in. We're only one new sentence in, but I got something to say. I just got to <laughs> say, when you do psychedelics and you have those experiences, that's just something to me. I feel like it's just something you start to know that it's always there. Like yeah. on DMT, the walls melt and you just have this knowing that it could always be this way. You could perceive it if you knew how. Knew how. I, I don't know mm. how else to describe it. Yeah. You know what I mean, Riley? I, I vaguely know what you mean, yeah. It's just a no knowing. Yeah. It's not like, you know, hearing voices saying that. I don't know. And that's what this guy seems to say, too. And it's just like comforting whenever you hear a human have similar experiences as you. And it's and it's interesting because sometimes, you know, you'll know something, but you it's not always like present in the front of your brain. Mm-hmm. Or maybe you don't un- like know how to put it into words. Right. So when somebody says it and you're like, yes, that's what I've been thinking for all this time. <laughs> but, you know, I just didn't know how to express it. Exactly. I love that feeling. He goes on, he says, it's a timeless, formless, and ethereal realm which our higher selves reside in. This foreign dimension often goes by the name of the spiritual realm, ultimate reality, the collective consciousness, the fifth dimension, or source. Each religion and spiritual belief has different interpretations of this realm, but they all agree on a fundamental truth that it exists. Generally, we are disconnected from this realm as our egos keep us grounded to reality in order to ensure our physical survival, which I think a lot of people need to remember. It's not all about just getting rid of your ego. If you didn't have an ego like at all to speak of and you saw that a train was coming your way, you wouldn't value that you'd be like, oh, I'll just be in another realm and it'll be fine. Yeah, and you need to make friends with your ego. You need to make friends with that ego instead of just obliterate it all the time. I, I think that's agree. a that's a great way to phrase it, is making friends with your ego because there there has to be a balance, right? Because there is that like self-preservation aspect of it. Um, so it's not necessarily like complete ego death, but maybe dismantling some of those negative effects of the ego. Mm-hmm. Just the things you think you are that if you really think about it that hard, that's not really you. That's something you're doing. That's your job. You know, that's a relationship you're in. It, it isn't you. And sometimes people go their whole lives without ever noticing that that is not them. Um, 
Anyways, he goes on. He says, the ego acts as a plug to reality, which keeps our feet on the ground. I'm sure there are forces behind the scenes pulling strings in this dimension too, but typically we're bound to this realm until we die. After all, we're here to have a human experience. If it was so easily transcended, then what's the point? Oh, that's that's a great one. I really like this article, Riley. Good. Thanks for bringing it in. You're welcome. Imagine the object of spirituality as an alternate realm which has many different pathways leading into it. These pathways can be accessed through myriad disciplines such as meditation, yoga, fasting, and prayer. There's a barrier between the physical construct of your consciousness and the spiritual construct, but they are always tethered together. Oh, sorry. There's like, okay. There's like, there would be a picture there, but it just describes the picture instead. It's it's like, you know, compressed and it doesn't show the picture. Okay. So psychedelic spirituality is essentially using hallucinogens to leverage your connection to source by temporarily unbinding you from this reality. Using these substances as a spiritual crush, crutch is like hijacking the tether to your higher self. It's the sledgehammer approach to spirituality. That's something I don't know if I agree with. I don't know if it's the sledgehammer approach to spirituality. That sounds a little negative the way you said it. Yeah, but I do believe that it's an approach to spirituality. And when you take this approach to spirituality, it's not for everybody. It definitely is an accelerant to a spiritual, on a spiritual path. And it definitely opens you up to other places. But, you know, like anything, you can't take it too much and you shouldn't. Otherwise, you're going to lose, you know, grounding on reality. Yep. And like, I really love that he said, you know, what's the point of having a human experience if it's so easily transcended? I I really like that because I don't know. I just love being a human. I love this world that we live in. I'm glad that there's even more to explore out there. And it's, it's not the physical realm isn't all that there is. But I also really enjoy it. Goes on, he says, psychedelics cause a phenomenon called ego dissolution, where you become increasingly disconnected from reality. This means that you become more connected to your spiritual nature in absence of identity and a sense of self. The more your ego diminishes, the more the barrier between these realms weakens. Through psychedelic spirituality, you create an intersection point between these realms, where you can keep your feet on the ground and pop your head into the cosmic ocean, or in some cases, lose yourself completely in it. Certain disciplines such as meditation and yoga can thin this barrier too, as these practices focus on presence, which also deteriorates the ego. It's essentially the same phenomenon using different routes to get there. One path is like slipping into a warm bath over the years of practice. The other is like plunging into an icy pool. And I, I really like that because I really do believe that there are many paths to God. And um, that's what we believe in the Shire Free Church. Right. And that might confuse a lot of people. Like, how can you have Muslims and Quakers in the same church? It's because we are all in this same re- reality and we're just experiencing it in different yeah. ways. Uh, and also respecting other people's beliefs. So I'm sure like even us all sitting at this table doing this show right now, I'm sure, you know, our views of the world in spirituality, religion, whatever, I'm sure they they can differ a little bit. You know, we all have different upbringings and we all have different experiences that lead us to our like our current beliefs. But I'm not going to sit here and tell Bonnie that she's wrong just because I have a different perspective. Right. You know, like 
I, I think respect goes a really long way. Oh, I agree. And I, I wouldn't say that, you know, for, for my Mormon friends or family or my LDS friends or family, I wouldn't say that their church is horrible and they should leave their path from mine. Or I'm, I'm not going to say that my spiritual path within the LDS church wasn't valuable. It was. It was valuable to me to have... Uh, to have an experience teaching me that there was a spiritual place and to access it through prayer, through fasting or whatever. And to me, that's really important because, you know, a lot of a lot of times we forget that we are spiritual beings having a mortal experience. And we're we're just divine beings here on this planet trying to figure it all out like everybody else. There's no there's no prophet that's got a leg up on you. There's no apostle that's got a leg up on you. There's no pastor, no priest, no guru. We're all on this journey together. That's really great, Riley. I, I agree that I have a lot of things that I have. Uh, I am grateful for from my childhood uh, being raised Christian. My mom wouldn't just say that, like, if I told her I saw something, like I mentioned this earlier, she would never have just been like, no, you didn't. That's that's not true because she believed in a spiritual realm and so did my dad. And uh, I think that that's a really valuable thing because if you were just taught that that's all fake, it's a lot harder to wrap your head around a lot of things he goes or he goes on he says when you go deep enough into a psychedelic trip you or whatever you means at this point leaves your meaty vessel completely this could be described as having an out-of-body experience but what you're experiencing can only be described as profound as your lifeless body becomes a vegetable this leads me to think that absence of the ego, which psychedelics facilitate, brings you closer to your soul nature. Without a mind or body, consciousness seeps through the mesh of reality, like yolk draining from a cracked egg. Your consciousness is immersed in a realm so profound that it strikes remarkable similarities with many spiritual doctrines and beliefs. So we, we need to question, are psychedelics hot-wiring the connection to spirituality that has been prevalent all over the world? And that's the foundation of psychedelic spirituality. To believe that psychedelics can indeed bring you to the same dimensions, dimension that all religions, indigenous and spiritual beliefs point towards. That they're in essence a shortcut to the unknown. I just like, I like looking at a whole bunch of different paths at once though. You know, like I think that if you are just doing psychedelics and not reading, like I like to get be eclectic. Yeah, I agree. I think it's more interesting to be eclectic and have a lot of different modalities, a lot of different things. Like one of the things I like to work with, one of the plant medicines I like, I like to work with is called ceremonial cacao. And it's really just pure dark chocolate from the Amazon area like Colombia or Belize or Tanzania. And it's pure 100% chocolate. And in high enough doses, it's it's really euphoric. It really feels good. It feels wow. good in your body. And it helps you work through emotions in a very gentle way. And it's just a beautiful medicine. And it's been described as a mother. It's called Mama Cacao by some people. And so for me, working with ceremonial cacao has been a blessing as well, just like with cannabis and mushrooms. Yeah, I really enjoy cacao ceremonies. One of my close friends holds them. Um, and it, you know, it's something that you can do on your own. But it's also something that you can do in a group and you can, you know, add as many things that you need to it. And it's just sometimes nice just to sit and share and you know, experience, you know, the plant medicine and kind of turn that into ritual. 
That's really cool. I haven't heard about that. Well, I have a bunch to share, and so I'll have to bring some over sometime. I saw I saw that. Yeah. Um, well, that's really interesting. Um, and we were talking about using different um, ways to get to the same point. This point, what is it? It's hard to explain. Maybe an alternate dimension. Uh, I just, I just like to say that I'm just after truth. I don't serve any specific god or goddess or anything like that. I think that if there is something that I would call God, it is truth, like yeah. with a capital T. Yeah, absolutely. Because truth is just what is, and you know, if something created me, it would have to have existed before me, and that would just make it what was already there. So that's how I think of God and truth. And uh, I don't know. I just think it's it's good to look, like go through different things in your life to find truth instead of just accept whatever you're told as a kid. Yeah. What happens when you connect to alternate dimensions via psychedelics? When you're submerged completely into a new dimension of information, you're essentially an atom in the ocean. You are nothing with no ability to do anything, think, understand, or comprehend. You exist in a state of absolute presence, which is induced through the death of ego. Ego death removes all human filters and perceptions. This opens the gate to unimaginably complex dimensions of reality. If you venture deep enough into a psychedelic trip, it will tear apart reality right in front of your eyes. You are then lost into a realm that exists far beyond the extents of imagination. As your human construct dismantles, you are likely to experience things such as sacred geometry, a rapidly moving fractal-like universe, spirits, entities, and have access to experience, sensations, and information on a whole new level. People, myself included, report feeling completely connected with all consciousness and energy. This experience can be described as totality or bliss. Upon waking from this state, Back to your gooey, fleshy body, you might feel like you have been reborn. Psychedelics have an incredible property to reset your mind and body, flush away negative residue, irreversibly change your beliefs and perception of life in oneself. This is why psychedelics have always had such a strong affiliation with spirituality, because through them your egoic consciousness deteriorates while your energetic nature becomes more prominent. In a way, you experience so much more in this state where minutes can feel like lifetimes, which seems well beyond the capabilities of the human mind. It really begs the question, can this experience just be credited to the mind? Surely the human mind is incapable of of simulating such powerful experiences that it can completely change a person's life and outlook of reality. Mm, I don't know about that because I really believe in like the placebo effect doing amazing things for people. Yeah, for sure says, if it is, then it just raises more questions. Whether these states are credited to the mysteries of the mind or whether we're tapping into something else, it is well beyond comprehension and the knowledge of modern science. And that's for sure. Well, at least what they're willing to admit. Right. The experience itself is certainly real despite what it is. I really like that article, uh, Riley. I'm glad. I, I love it too. It's it's really interesting it's a really interesting look at spirituality from a different perspective. Instead of just going to church, taking a taking a, a class on reading your holy books, and there's nothing wrong with that. Holy books or scriptures are really beneficial for helping people learn about life, learning about navigating spirituality. 
But mushrooms and ayahuasca and DMT and things like it and cannabis are sacraments and are tools to help one connect with the divine if used appropriately. Now, yes, they can be abused, and I I don't believe the government should stand in the way of people abusing it. I wouldn't promote it personally. I would advocate against abuse of these tools. But that being said, I can't prevent anyone from doing so. Now, since they are tools for spiritual growth, you know, when you start using these, you got to be really careful. you got to know what you're looking at. you got to be prepared for the emotions that are come up, going to come up, and they will. And it's important to find a group to connect with so you can integrate your experiences into your life and work through them instead of just letting them traumatize you. That, that is the word I was trying to think of, integrate. Yes. Um, he brought up being a feeling of being reborn after doing psychedelics. And I think that one thing that is great about having friends that are interested in psychedelics or even just like a community online, if you don't have people in real life, is just being able to talk it out. And it's called integrating, Bring, bringing it out, out uh, of your mouth and trying to put meaning to it. And- Absolutely. And putting it all together. And, and that's why I think that people who are on this quest for more truth, a lot of times they end up, they're a lot better people. Like, uh, um, maybe it sounds a little crass to say it that way, but they're usually better people. They believe in liberty and freedom a lot of the times. This it's is Free, free talk, talk Live. Live. Thanks. that you control if you'd like to call in and bring up whatever is on your mind 603-283-6160 that's 603-283-6160 and in the studio with you tonight it's me bonnie riley and nikki and this whole show has basically been like a coast to coast episode (laughs) and that's what i i like to talk about like most of the time yeah sometimes I just want a little break from talking about Trump, things like that, yeah, like the, bad news. Yeah, I know it's nice to just have like these really like deep, interesting discussions that we don't always have on Free Talk Live. Um, and I, I do think it's important to have a balance. Like we should be aware of what's going on around us, and like sometimes political discussions are important. But sometimes it's also just nice to like get deeper than that. And yeah, I know most of the stuff I like to bring in usually, you know, psychedelics, mental health, health in general, um, aliens. Like I like bringing in some crazy stuff just yeah. because we we talk enough about the other stuff. So <laughs> that's why that's why you're a great co-host on the Sunday Night Shows because you bring all that stuff in, and it's it's a fun show. Yeah, thank you. And I I told Riley that uh, us three would be a really good show because. I don't know. I think Ian also, like if there could be four people, we like to talk about stuff like spirituality, but a lot of the co-hosts would just kind of be like, not everyone, but a lot of them would just kind of get bored of it. Like you can't, you can't help if somebody's just not feeling the, the topic, but I knew that the three of us would have a really good conversation. Yeah, on I would that. love that. I'd love to be on the show more. Yeah. Well, I'm hosting Wednesdays, so you can definitely be on a whole lot more. Perfect. Well, today I read this article from NPR and... I want to read a little part of it because it's just really long, but I have a lot to say about it. And I know that you guys will, too, because I just think it's so weird when 
there's a problem. Two people can see the problem and just come to drastically different ideas of a solution or at least what she's implying here seems more like she's come to a drastically different idea of a solution than me. Also, the causes. It's like two people can look at a problem and they can one can think, oh, this is the cause, and the other person can think, no, this is the cause. And it's just really, I just don't get why it happens. Yeah. Um. So this is from NPR. It says, doctors have their own diagnosis, moral distress from an inhumane health system. Um, and it's written by a doctor named Lisa Doggett. She says, the young man was in his mid-20s when he came to see me for severe abdominal pain at my small community clinic. The pain, worse than he'd ever experienced, had persisted for weeks and was getting worse. He cried out when I examined him. I didn't know the cause of his pain, but I could think of possibilities, including a ruptured appendix, perforated ulcer, or pancreatitis. He needed an urgent CT scan and a surgical consult. The fastest way to get both was to send him to the emergency room. But he said he couldn't go. He was uninsured. As his family physician, I had to convince him. I explained the need for further evaluation, the risk of waiting. I mean, if it was a ruptured appendix and he had already been feeling this pain for weeks, that's pretty serious. Um, I told him the ER was legally bound to assess and stabilize him. They could arrange a payment plan. Still, he hesitated, explaining he couldn't pay the bill. This young man is one of many patients I've seen over the years who needed care and couldn't afford it. I knew that hospital charges might exceed his annual payments for rent. He could face years of debt, even bankruptcy. I don't recall his diagnosis, but I think he managed to improve without surgery. I still wonder, was I too quick to send him for emergency care? Did I do more harm than good? Like, you know, giving him a bill. And um, it, it makes sense that she would feel this way. Basically, she goes into saying that she found out after 13 years of being in uh, public health clinics that she was experiencing something called moral distress and moral distress and moral injury were first used in a military context to characterize the torment fe- felt by soldiers as they tried to process and justify their actions amid the cruelty of war. So like basically like if you killed someone in war and you start to feel like that wasn't right, I'm not doing it, but I mean, I, I shouldn't have done that. And you start to justify it to yourself like, oh, well, it was for freedom. So it it feels dramatic to compare uh, actions in war to actions in medicine. But I I can completely relate to this. I have had very similar feelings working in healthcare, Um, And it's it is so hard because there will be times where either somebody is legally sectioned in the hospital, like court order, and like legally they cannot leave. Um, and it sometimes it was my job to essentially sit in there with them and then make sure almost almost like security, which is very strange that like as a CNA or um, a nursing assistant, if you don't know what that is, like that was my job. Um, and then there were other times where somebody's either confused or um, or they're impaired, whatever, and, and they're not consenting to the treatment, but they're either a harm to themselves or... Or even a harm to me and the other staff. And we either have to put them in restraints. Or we have to use medical restraints. And you know like give them Haldol. So they either calm down. 
there's so many times where it's like you're put in very difficult situations like that. And it's like there would just be days where I like sat in my car after work and like decompressed and was like either what happened to somebody wasn't right. And I just sat there and watched it happen and felt helpless and couldn't help the person or those like tricky moral grounds where it's like, okay, like they were going to hurt themselves or they were confused or whatever. Um, So it's like, I don't like how things went down, but it was kind of necessary. So to have to sit with that. And I, I was only in that kind of healthcare for like two years, maybe a little bit longer, like maybe three years. Uh, But I got burnt out from it. Like by the time I, I switched to the, um, the setting that I work in now as a nurse, I mean, it was like now, now where I work, it's a completely voluntary um, facility. If somebody wants to leave, they can leave. And that was something that was really appealing to me because there were so many times when I was working at the hospital that we were essentially holding people hostage. Wow. And it was legal and, and maybe necessary, maybe not. You know, you have an elderly woman with dementia who's going to run out into the middle of the road, maybe. You know, it's so you you just get put in those like really weird moral situations where it's just like. You know, you, you're kind of like lose either way. Hmm. And that sounds like a much better fit for you to go work at this place where people are voluntarily walking in. And uh, thank you for the explanation, because basically that's what she does at the beginning of the article. She explains what what she means by moral injury and moral distress in healthcare professionals. And the very next thing she brought up is what you brought up, um, that there's an alarming increase in physician burnout. Doctors struggle to meet productivity demands, rushing in and out of exam rooms, working late into the evening to finish documenting in cumbersome electronic medical record systems. Despite some efforts to move away from a fee-for-service payment model, in most cases, our system still rewards volume of patients seen over value of care provided. Um, One thing I just got to say about it is, it's weird, that the little... Uh, head, headline there was about burnout. Um, I guess she's just—I don't know. She she is explaining burnout, but she didn't use the word. Um, My question is: Why are doctors rewarded more for the amount of patients seen? Like they're seeing 100 patients a day. Why are they more rewarded for that than the value of the healthcare given? Shouldn't it be the exact opposite? Yeah, and I I don't even know. Yeah, it's so strange because. Because if you're working with a doctor, you should expect the best kind of health care from that doctor because it's a family doctor, if it is, and they know your body best. They know what's up with you. They, they've worked with you for a long time. And if you're not getting the quality of care that you want from them, where are you going to go if, if all other doctors are doing the same thing? Yeah, and it's very complex because obviously there's a lot of choices that we make in regards to our health. Um, You know, like diet, exercise, things like that, that our doctor can't force us to do. Right. But you would think that a good doctor would keep us healthy. So it seems like they're almost more rewarded, you know, with kickbacks for, you know, pharmaceuticals and stuff like that. It's almost like they're rewarded to keep us sick. And there's a lot of incentives thrown their way from the pharmaceutical companies. And they're they're paid by big pharma to promote special drugs or whatever and it's yeah. really really bad when big pharma is in bed with the medical industry. Yeah, I mean I remember when I told my my uh primary care physician that I was not going to take birth control anymore. She like hounded me. Oh my gosh, and and after that I was like I'm never coming back here again 
because that woman made me feel so uncomfortable hmm. by I was trying to take my my health care into my own hands. Right. And I think it's important, you know, if you're not taking birth control, you don't know, can track your cycle or whatever. Yeah. And um, and of course, like her. Yeah, she should give me a warning. I'm 18 years old or whatever. And she's like, well, you know, like these are the statistics. And, you know, I think it would be responsible for a doctor to like be real with me and tell me all of the risks associated and, you know, like teen pregnancy and all that sort of thing. But uh, the way she she pushed it on me was that's so was really it was bizarre. It made me it made me very uncomfortable. I just started hearing about something that blows my mind. And and I have to agree, Riley, since your question was, why are they uh, why is the model this way where um, doctors are their incentive is to get as many patients as possible? I agree that it's because the more people that they get uh, hooked on drugs the more money they make and uh, lots of doctors have complained about that they're like it's not like the the thing i thought i was getting into but it is the reality of it um they're basically you know drug dealers um so that's to answer that question but one thing i've just heard about recently that blows my mind um this girl this youtuber that i watch in canada i don't know if this is just a canadian thing but she had a copper iud interut Terary, utinary uh, device. Yeah. And um, it's a form of birth control. Are you asking if they only do that in Canada? No, no, no. Oh, okay. Uh, she I'm sorry, had that's that. what I thought you said. No, she had that and she just was like, wow, this makes me feel terrible. So she went to go get it removed. Her doctor wouldn't remove it. Yep. All the doctors around her wouldn't remove it. She had to go find a doctor that didn't know who she was and lie to him like, Hey, I want to have a baby, so I need to get this removed. And that was the only way she could get it removed. So, and and just real quick, for a woman who is in this situation where doctors won't take out their IUDs, go find a local midwife. Midwives Mm -hmm. know how to take these things out. So go find some sort of alternate healthcare practitioner, and maybe they will be able to help you. Hmm. Um, Because it's, it's insane to me. That a doctor will tell you, and, and also you could probably take it out yourself. There are mm. are ways where you could take it out yourself, but it's insane where you can say, "Hey, this thing isn't working for me," or "Hey, you know, I did a little bit more research after the fact, and it turns out this thing could have nasty complications that I that you never told me about as my doctor, and that now I don't feel comfortable having this thing in my body anymore." And they will tell you no, and this happens. And not every doctor. But uh, it's very common where they're like, nope, it's common to have these side effects and you need to wait at least a year or however long to get these things removed. That's what they were telling uh, her. And people should wow. be very weary of that. Yeah. are you, You're going to let people, uh, these doctors, put something in your body and if they won't help you take it out, I mean, that, that's just insane to me. And that was another thing that really turned me off from the IEDs. And a lot of women get them and they love them. Uh, and a lot of women would go to their doctor, say, I'm having these side effects. Their doctor says, no, this is why. And they just accept that answer. But it's it's really disgusting that you most don't have that like right over your own yeah, body. It, it's disgusting that these people would gaslight you, yet people go along with them because, oh, they're the ones in authority. Yeah, obviously. they're the expert. Yeah. And it's it's so hard to say, oh, we got we to gotta trust the expert when the expert is gaslighting you. Yeah, it's bizarre. Well, already on top of the fact that this woman sounds to me like she isn't seeing very good doctor serv- you know, service for her 
uh, clients going on every day and uh, makes me wonder why a light bulb doesn't pop up in her head and make her think maybe I need to uh, do it like look at this different way to heal people maybe there's a different way to heal people than like what you know college taught her there, there there's that question and the other thing is um why does she think there's such burnout and people are so busy when in 2020 you fired all the people who didn't want to take the vaccine who were you know they wanted to be uh nurses and doctors or whatever and I don't know the exact number of how many people left, but it was a lot. A lot. I mean, and like for me, I got fired and I literally found a better job where I make more money and it's a better fit for me. So, and I know a lot of other nurses who that same story where they got fired, found a job that was paying them substantially more, um, where they didn't have to go against their, their, uh, morals to get a vaccine that they didn't feel comfortable getting. So it just seemed like a lot of these hospitals lost. Like the the actual nurses and doctors did not lose here. It was the hospitals that are losing. Hmm. Wow. She ends this by saying a path to change would start with addressing social determinants. She says there are no easy answers. System improvements are needed to better support doctors and nurses to ensure adequate staffing, well functioning teams that include social workers and behavioral health counselors and user-friendly electronic health records. Wendy Dean, a psychiatrist and co-author of a new book, If I Betray These Words, Moral Injury in Medicine and Why It's So Hard for Clinicians to Put Patients First, has called for a better alignment of values between healthcare and healthcare organizations and the people who treat patients. Too often, administrators make decisions about operation schedules and workflows without involving doctors and other frontline staff. Equipment from healthcare leaders, health insurance plans, and all levels of government to address the non-medical conditions in which we live, work, and play, the social determinants of health that drive 80% to 90% of health outcomes on a population level would improve the health of individuals and communities. It would also decrease the pressure on doctors to treat medical conditions stemming from unhealthy environments that we can't change. See this? Just that paragraph itself is everything that I just don't understand why she's looking at it the way she is. So she thinks that if the government forced people to live healthier, if the government no, just forced people... the government's not going to make anybody live healthier. They're going to no. make it look like they are. And they'll come up with some weird food pyramid or some... <laughs> Weird ideas and force them down people's throats. And, and that's what they've literally work. done. And it, it, why would you think that the government could just force people to work better, or you know, uh, work out and eat better? It's 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 silly for one thing. And the other thing is, I think this is her coming to the realization that I think her job is just not as necessary as she thinks it is. Like being a surgeon, that's one thing, but. I, I think of doctor the same way I think of the word freedom, which in a way, it's almost unfortunate that those words exist. Yeah. And freedom is one of my favorite words. But it's describing a lack of prison around you. It's almost yeah. sad that it exists. Like that should be the default. It should just be being. Being yeah. should be what you call freedom. Mm-hmm. And um, I heard someone say that before and I was like, Dang, that's awesome. And, and I yeah, kind of think really is. the same thing about doctors. It's like um, if people, if your job, lady, wasn't just to hand out pharmaceuticals all day 
And you did something else, like went and made your job to teach kids uh, a sport. You'd be probably doing more for the health of the community than being a doctor who goes on NPR and writes about why the government needs to make people be healthier by the time they get to you. Yeah. I mean, it's and just honestly, crazy. like, who really cares? Like, I don't, I, I try to, uh, like, I guess inspire people to live healthier or at least like share information so people, you know, have the the choice to live healthier. But why even even as a, a nurse, I literally don't care if my patients are unhealthy because it's their life and they have the right to be unhealthy. Hmm. I can do my part and I can try to, you know, I can give them the information. I can try to inspire them. I can encourage them. I can do everything right as a nurse and if they don't want to and if they don't care, it doesn't matter. Yeah. They're, they're going to do whatever they want to do. And I don't think we should like gun to their head. You have to eat a salad and stop eating sugar. That's not fair. They they deserve the right to do whatever they want. Do honestly. you feel you get a lot of people, whether in your old jobs or now, who come to the hospital because it's almost like some people's hobby. Like they yes, like being absolutely. Sick. Because they're trying to. And I uh, I shouldn't even say this. A lot of people are drug seeking mm. and they're like, oh, I have a backache. And they're trying to get Percocet, Dilaudid, morphine, whatever they can get. Uh, there are a lot of people like that. There's also a lot of hypochondriacs who, uh, and you know, that's a, and it's a very real thing. Uh, obviously, it's a mental thing, but uh, they, they just, they're, they're frequent flyers. That's what we call them, frequent mm. flyers. <laughs> Uh, there's also a lot of homeless people Interesting. who, if it's cold, it's like you kind of got, you know, three options, freeze to death, uh, figure out a way to go to jail hmm. or go to the hospital. Yeah. Like that, those are kind of, or a homeless shelter if that's available. I'm assuming in the winter, there's probably not a lot of space in the homeless shelters. So, so yeah, like I've never worked in the emergency room before, but you know, I talk to other nurses, I hear stories. Uh, it, it is very common where... You see the same people in there a lot of the times. Well, I'm glad that we got basically all we wanted to, like we all got had something to say about that because I read that article today and it just, it just boggles my mind. The other thing that we could definitely get into if we have more time, but we really don't, would be just why she can't understand why healthcare is so expensive. I don't understand, but um, it's a lot more because of government and- well. It's government and it's insurance companies and regulations regarding insurance companies that are making it so so expensive. I mean, if people have insurance, yeah, they can pay for health care. But at the same time, that leaves doctors free to raise their prices in order to charge insurance companies more. And, uh, well, they couldn't do all that stuff without, uh, you know, regulations forcing people to, like, get insurance who don't need it and things like that. The government is the the ultimate seed in all of it. Yeah. If uh, there was a free market. The government breaks your legs, hands you a crush, and says, here, aren't you glad we helped you out? Yeah. That's absolutely true. Um, but in other news, very interesting kind of good news, Riley brought this in, and it's from The Guardian. It says, U.S. woman, 87, fights off a teenage home intruder, then gives him snacks. <laughs> it says, so was he hungry? <laughs> That I, ha- I haven't so. learned yet, but it sounds like it. Um, the household matriarch who insists on feeding visitors, especially young ones, stands among the most enduring U.S. stereotypes. 
But an 87-year-old woman from Brunswick, Maine, recently took that stereotype to an extreme by reportedly fighting off a teenager who broke into her home, then giving him snacks when he said he was hungry as she sent him on his way. (laughs) And that's just so funny to me. Yeah. Marjorie Perkins is at the center of one of the latest strange tales to come out of the U.S. criminal justice system. She was sleeping at her home about 2 a.m. on uh, the 26th of July when she woke up, saw a 17-year-old boy who used to mow her uh, grass standing over her and heard him say, I'm going to cut you. Oh, God. Yeah. It'd be a little horrifying to wake up to. Yeah. I thought to myself, if he's going to cut, I'm going to kick. Perkins said to the site. Um, So the former elementary school teacher stood up and began putting her shoes on, but then started being hit by the teen intruder. That's so sad. Yeah. Perkins somewhat slowed the attack by grabbing a chair and using it as a shield, and she began screaming for help. Yet no one else was in or around the home to hear her. The teen pushed her and repeatedly punched her, landing at least one blow on her forehead, which left a bruise. Okay, so I'm sorry I called it good news. I didn't know, I didn't read the article. But from the, uh, sorry, from the article, I thought he came in to steal food and she gave him food. Yeah, and it turns out he physically assaulted her. Yeah, I did not know that because I didn't read it. Um, that's really sad and really messed up. And it's even more sad that he used to mow her grass so he knew yeah, she... Yeah, I mean... The lighter note is that she was willing to give him food instead of just let him go hungry. Hmm. Dang. Yeah, I. This is like a like a huge example of be the bigger person. I'm not <laughs> saying that people need to do that, right. but that's wow. what she did. Somehow she uh, he grew tired and left her alone to went to go to the kitchen, and then she told him to get out and she gave him food to get him to leave. So it's a lot less nice than I thought it was, but (laughs) that's just crazy. What what do you think? Um, This has been Free Talk Live. You can call in any night. We're on every night and uh, see you next time. Peace. If you want to move to the free state and you're looking for some real estate, well, I know a guy who's really great. It's the Realtor Mark Ward. Now you can learn more about the awesome things happening here in New Hampshire in our march toward liberty in our lifetime. Our friends at Porcupine Real Estate are hosting a series of webinars to educate you on the expanded freedoms enjoyed by New Hampshire citizens. Reserve your seat today at move.freetalklive.com. Topics include gun freedom, medical freedom, and political freedom victories. They also have a couple on best practices for moving to the free state and finding housing. These webinars are super helpful and free to attend once you've registered at move.freetalklive.com. Visit their YouTube channel, Porcupine Real Estate, for videos from past presentations and sign up for upcoming webinars for free at move.freetalklive.com. Porcupineralestate.com